Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And what has happened is because of the Attorney General's initial four-page memo and because of the President's reaction, you know, I'm exonerated, you know, I'm cleared, it's all over, they have controlled the narrative and they have branded this as a complete exoneration. And if there are a number, you know, a lot of redactions in this report and if it's not conclusive, uh, it's going to be very hard, I think, for the Democrats in a protracted legal argument, going to the courts, trying to get this out, um, they really are going to be on the defensive, and I don't know how they can get ahead of it. They really need to start talking about health care and, and other things. As, mu- as important as this is, I don't know how they can get on top of it. I decried the notion of the enemy of the people or the, uh, the fake news, and, and yet a very distinguished former supporter of mine, a Republican, um, really chastised me afterwards and said, you must know that that there is an unmitigated kind of bias against Donald Trump and that a lot of what he says is true. I'm not saying that's true, but I know how deeply the feeling is is setting in to the American people that that the media's credibility is is in question. I I'm not questioning it, but I am saying that is out there. And do you have each of I'd love to get your response. Do you feel a sense of, I've got to help fix this? To not screw up, to not get it wrong, to get it right. The bar for us is so high right now. We cannot give them, whoever the them is, that, that argument that we've screwed it up. And it happens, and it will happen again. But every time we mess up factually, it gives them ammunition to call us fake news, to call us the enemy of the American people. And I've got to say, you know, I, I've, I was at that rally two months ago when a supporter jumped into the stands with the media and clocked a photographer in the head. And I have, I'm sure as we all have, looked both ways when I walk outside of the White House gates because you're like, who's out there today? Like, yeah. who, who, who's ticked off? Who really thinks we are the American, the enemy of the American people? There is serious danger in that rhetoric, not just to the people doing the job, but to democracy and the First Amendment and the foundations of our country. It's very dangerous language. There is a a, a moment, and we are in this moment, where broadcasters have to check themselves and, and figure out what we have done wrong, because we have done some things wrong, and to do better. And there are things that we have not succeeded at. I'm talking about over the last four years or so um, when it comes to sort of a bubble mentality in New York and D.C. That exists. It existed in 2016. It was a big part, I think, of why a lot of folks missed the rise of Donald Trump. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the 18th of April, year of our Lord, 2019. And that was Andrea Mitchell whining, the GOP is controlling the talking points. (laughs) And then some conference again where they do a self-aggrandizing fucking, we're in danger because Trump says mean things. Incitement is the word of the podcast. We're going to hear the left say incitement, incitement, incitement. And you're going to hear me scream and yell about how much they incite, but it's not considered incitement. And, more importantly, 
We're going to have a fun podcast today. We're going to flip it around. We're going to do new social media nuggets up front. We're going to do some reviews on some TV shows before that. Then we're going to go into our Omar AOC Fire for Effect. It's got to be there. Violet Left on the back end. Some extra stuff that kind of came in time 100. So it's going to be a reverse podcast for shits and giggles. Shits and giggles. But there's some stuff up front. Um... CNN International, the photo of the two-year-old girl crying near the U.S.-Mexico border. Yeah, it won a World Press Photo of the Year. A lie. A false photo. Yeah. There's a lot of that in the press. They give each other awards for lying. It's really interesting. And we're going to find out one today about the Green New Deal type stuff. There's actually proof of two. I said two. Documentaries that are on Netflix about the climate and how we just white people not anybody else just white people are killing the planet and it's fake they lied but they made it like it was real animals are dying because of climate change and it was all bullshit but, you know anyway tax day was the other day i already did my podcast on taxes because it was awesome to not pay and actually get 650 dollars back Making the same amount of money, changing tax brackets, percentage. It was nice. Liz Wheeler, your tax money paid for in 2018, $876,000 to study sexual habits of quails on cocaine. I didn't make that up. That's actually a thing. 50K to teach female entrepreneurs in India how to vlog. $1.7 million for holograms of dead comedians. 15k on an opera about Prince Harry, 4.6 million on lobster and crab, and 500 million, 550. She's actually wrong. Goes to Planned Parenthood to pay for about 750,000 uh, morning after pills that most of us think is abortion. Interesting. But the left's still at it. So here's Alyssa Milano. Now that tax day is almost here and Americans are seeing themselves who the Republican Party really cares about, here are some things to remember on tax day. April this year, already this April, we've learned a tax refund are down this year by $6 billion because you didn't pay as much. But she's an idiot. Math's hard, you know. It's just really hard. According to a recent uh, Wall Street Journal poll, the 17% believe they didn't get a tax cut. And this isn't partisan. Only 3-30% of Americans think they got a tax cut. And we learned from the Center of Public Integrity that the number of big companies that paid zero tax, that's right, zero, have gone from 30 to 60. But here's the thing, Americans aren't dumb. We knew from the beginning that the Republicans would do it. As of March, GOP tax scam only has 36% approval. We knew the GOP was just doing a giant favor for the corporate donors. Yeah, 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 shut the fuck up. Fight for 15, hashtag stupid. Really, Alyssa? Then why did the New York Times do? New York Times, face it, you probably got a tax cut. Studies consistently find that 2017 law cut taxes for most Americans. Most of them don't buy it because the media lies and the left lies. So, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Then to Mueller, because we're not going to do a lot of Mueller today. The Bar Report releases sometime today. They're all bitching and moaning about it. And I just have to say right off the bat, if this was the Obama administration, the Bar Report would be released at Friday at 5 p.m. So shut your cunt traps. Not cock traps. Cunt traps. Because most of you are lesbians. It's making Hammerman tweet. I think it's later. I think I did get it. I don't remember. Washington Post columnist declares Fox News has been right all along. Admit it, Fox has been right along. And it basically comes down to, hey, it's all a lie. 
They didn't do anything. There was no freaking collusion. There was no obstruction of justice. Everybody else said it was, but Fox all along has said, no, there isn't, because they just reported the facts. That's a Washington Post. Meanwhile, even regular viewers of CNN and MSDNC must certainly recognize the straws being grasped to justify sticking with the conspiracy theory that has been largely debunked. Although the expected release of Mueller report this week will probably provide just enough juice for one last effort, it would be who serious journalists to put aside their political biases and delve into the story that might actually be worthy of Watergate comparison, even if it is included the painful admission that Fox News was right all along. That's the end of the article. Yeah. So, I thought that was kind of you so let's go into uh our little reviews as the whole world including uh cornflakes condoms i think there's even fucking depends undergarments with this on it game of thrones of course came back and um you know i knew the first episode was gonna be an hour and it's gonna suck and we're only getting seven episodes so we get or six episodes so we only got like really five left i think uh and they're like an hour and a half each and a lot of people are gnashing the teeth. You know, I did not like, and spoiler alert, I guess I don't do this as a regular thing, so I guess I should say spoiler if you haven't watched it, but I don't know anybody that hasn't. The whole Dances with Dragons shit was kind of stupid. It was more out of Disney. But I think the show was to get everybody together, get some awkward meetings for the first time, establish all the love lines so we have more impact when all these motherfuckers die. And I selected one out of about seven there's a whole cottage industry i'm wondering what these people are going to do when game of thrones is gone i mean that's kind of why i went with the political podcast because politics are forever there's always something somebody's upset about hell today we find out the libraries are racist i mean seriously there's so much shit for me to talk about i never have a dry spell i don't know what they're going to do when game of thrones is gone but this one was pretty good 13 details you missed in game of thrones season 8 premiere I don't know who made this. I kind of suck. I should have given them the rights to it. Just know I didn't make this because I'm not a geek. I just watch the thing for the killing. I just want to see people get killed a billion different ways. That's why I watch Game of Thrones. So uh, let's listen to this. It's pretty good. The eighth and final season of Game of Thrones has finally arrived. In the episode titled Winterfell, we get a ton of references to the very first episode of the series, which premiered way back in 2011. Here are 13 details you might have missed from Season 8, Episode 1. And of course, warning, spoilers are coming. Right at the top of the new episode, we get new visuals accompanying the theme song. What's probably most important to note is that the Northern Wall now has a giant hole, reminding us of the Season 7 finale, where the undead reanimated Viserion obliterates the wall. We also get three new panels showing the fall of the wall, the Red Wedding, and Daenerys' dragons being born. At the beginning of the episode, we see Daenerys and Jon Snow entering Winterfell with a large army and two dragons. This procession mirrors Season 1, Episode 1, when Robert Baratheon arrived at Winterfell to make Ned Stark Hand of the King. Not only do the two scenes look similar, but both scenes also share the exact same music. The boy pushing the crowd and climbing is similar to both Bran and Arya. Speaking of Arya, just like Season 1, Episode 1, she catches a glimpse of the Hound, but they've got a lot more history now. 
The boy in this scene at the meeting of the Northern Lords is Lord Ned Umber, who we saw last season pledging fealty to House Stark. Ned Umber. Who is Ned? He's the son of Small John Umber, who died at the Battle of the Bastards. If you watched the episode, then you know this isn't the last we see of the boy. But before we get there, we should explain where exactly Tormund, Beric, and the others are treading carefully at the end of the episode. Well, they're actually at Last Hearth, which is south of the Wall but north of Winterfell, and that's where the Umbers live. At Last Hearth, Beric kills the reanimated Ned Umber with his flaming sword, illuminating a spiral pattern. We've seen this pattern before. Back in season three, we saw the body parts of dismembered Night's Watchmen and horses. We saw the pattern again in season five when the Children of the Forest created the Night King, and then again in season seven in the cave drawings at Dragonstone. We still don't know yet its significance, but clearly it's an important sign of the White Walkers. In another nod to season one, John and Arya's reunion in this episode is a close mirror of when John and Arya said goodbye in season one, episode two. They hug in a near identical way, and that's when John gave Arya Needle, her beloved sword. In this episode, John notices that Arya still has the blade. We see John fly a dragon for the first time, which is certainly momentous. But there's actually more going on here. The dragon John flies is Rhaegal, named after his real father, Rhaegar Targaryen. In the season eight trailer, we saw this same scene, but John was not in the shot. This scene is no doubt a reference to when John made love to his first love, Egret, in a cave near a waterfall. According to the creators, this location in season eight is also where John would have hunted when he was younger. Arya meets Gendry and hands him a drawing of a new weapon she wants him to make out of dragon glass. In the season two trailer, we see Arya with a new dagger, which could be what she's asking Gendry to make for her. In this episode, Gendry and Arya reunite. Gendry calls Arya Lady Stark, to which Arya replies, "Don't call me that." Gendry then replies, "As you wish, my lady." This is a direct mirror of a conversation they had in season two, episode two. I should be calling you, my lady. Do not call me, my lady. As my lady commands. Tyrion says because of Jon's courage, they have brought the greatest army the world has ever seen. This is similar to a phrase Vance Raider says back in season three. I'm going to light the biggest fire the North has ever seen. Vance was talking about lighting a fire to alert the wildlings that it was time to attack Castle Black. In the scene with Bronn, Kyburn gives Bronn a crossbow, the weapon Cersei wants Bronn to use to kill her traitor brothers. This is significant because you may remember that Tyrion uses a crossbow to kill their father, Tywin Lannister. Midway through the episode, Sam finds Bran, and Bran says he's waiting for an old friend. We find out later the old friend he's referring to is Jaime Lannister, who shows up at Winterfell. Jaime pushed Bran out a window back in season one, leading to the injury that left him unable to walk. The things I do for love. So there you have it. Do we miss anything? Let us know in the comments. The kids are all right. I laugh my ass off every time I watch it. It's a great show, so g- give that a go, so it'll stay on the air. Um, viewing's not that good because I think people think it's a Goldberg ripoff, but it's a totally different show. And if you're a kid of the '70s, which is what I am, because I was a teenager in the '80s, um, yeah, yeah, it's right down your alley. And then, of course, we're gonna have another installment. To what used to be called the trilogy, and now it's the I don't fucking know where we're going with it, Star Wars. I did not watch Han Solo. Just I just don't think you can reboot Harrison Ford, but we're doing 
another one on Skywalker. So as we go into news and social media nuggets, here is the trailer that just got released this week for Star Wars latest installment. I don't even know the name because I don't pay attention anymore. And I'll wait for it to be downloadable. We've passed on all we know. A thousand generations live in you now. But this is your fight. generation man all you people we're all together man it's groovy and dig yourselves because it's really groovy now it's time for news and social media nuggets the crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind it's a whole new ball game on campus these days and they call it pc pc politically correct and it's not just politics it's everything it's what you eat it's what you wear and it's what you say if you don't watch yourself Get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Yeah, he's in the military now. I have an amazing moment from Marathon Monday for you. That's military veteran Micah Herndon from Ohio, who ran in honor of his three friends who were tragically killed in Afghanistan. and. You can see he refused to give up, crawling across the finish line. Before the race, he, he said, if I get a heat cramp while running or my feet hurt or I am getting exhausted, I just keep saying their names out loud to myself. They went through so much worse, so I run for them and their families. What a striking image mm-hmm. right there. It really was. That is Marine Mika Henderson, who was crawling across the Boston Marathon finish line. 
for his three friends killed in Afghanistan. And I thought that was pretty poignant. It's one of the rare times you see it on TV because they just don't seem to care about our vets. You know, as we gnash teeth about Omar and <clears throat> the crazy things she says and et cetera, et cetera. Here's an article that is pretty fucked up and nobody seems to care in our media. Three veterans of five days by suicide at VA's facilities. Three suicides occurred during a five-day period over Department of Defense Veterans Affairs properties, prompting reactions this week from Capitol Hill. Two veterans died by suicide in Georgia on April 5th at a parking garage at the Carl Vinson VA Medical Center in Dublin, and the other April 6th outside the main entrance to Atlanta VA Medical Center in Decatur, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported. On Tuesday, a veteran shot himself in the waiting room at a VA clinic in Austin, Texas. Those deaths did not go by me without noticing them, nor has it gone by me that we have a job to do. According to the latest VA data, 20 veterans die by suicide every day. Of those deaths, 14 are not receiving VA health care. There are millions of vets. Most of us don't go to the VA because it's so fucking broke. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's a goddamn travesty. Yes, it's suicide. It's a cop-out. I wear a black KIA band for one of our soldiers, Staff Sergeant, must many years later after the war, and he did it. Nobody knew. Nobody saw it coming. He acted like everything was normal, and then he killed himself. But we got to be better than this. But somehow it doesn't fit within the media's, you know, Green New Deal, Trump's a bastard, everybody around the country who voted for him is a racist. That, I guess, gets more clicks, you know. you think with Trump being president, it would be a huge thing. Because that's what they did with Bush. When the whole system imploded and guys like me waited to file my shit so the more important guys who were really fucked up could get theirs for 12 goddamn years, eight of them under Obama... Think would have mattered then. That's when the system got really bad. But it was Obama. He's cool. He's my ringtone. Yeah, that's what journalists were thinking. New film pays tribute to Marines who stopped truck attack in Ramadi. Six seconds, not enough time to do much of anything. But Corporal Jonathan Yale and Lance Corporal Jordan Hader made their last six seconds on Earth count in a way that has passed into Marine Corps legend. Their astonishing heroism is stopping a truck bomb attack that threatened the lives of scores of Marines and Iraqis is now the subject of a short film that will have its first screening next month. Joshua DeFore, the student director of the movie, said his main challenge was avoiding caricatures that portrays the two young riflemen. I felt this sense of responsibility to depict the 21-year-old Yale and the 19-year-old Hater as the complicated human beings they were on a fateful morning of April 26, 2008. A former Marine sergeant and combat correspondent who served in Afghanistan. His 23-minute film, The 11th Order, will get its first screening May 19th at the Hogg Memorial Auditorium in Texas as part of his theses. But he said it wouldn't have happened without the approval of the mothers of the two Marines, Rebecca Hale and Joanne Lyles DeFore, 
said he spoke with Rebecca for two hours to get her permission to proceed with the project. The gist was that it was still a very painful thing to bring up. He said Yale and Hayter gave their own lives to stop the attack that likely would have killed 50 Marines and Hunter partners. We've actually covered this on the show. Um, it was in a speech. So I'm not going to read the whole article, but it's um, it's pretty moving. They uh, kitted the fuck up and stood there and made him detonate early. Um, with all the Avengers and stupid shit that we have in our movies, I don't know why that's not a movie. Uh, little known fact, at the end of Operation Anaconda, we got interviewed by a film crew. They didn't know Iraq was coming. And they asked us for stories and wrote scripts and shit like that. And it was supposed to go to a movie and it just never happened. Um, there is talk that Robert's Ridge will someday be put into a movie. But um, if there's ever a story that's unbelievable, it's this one. But unless Clint Eastwood does it, it just doesn't become a movie because nobody cares. All they care about is a transgender ban, and that'll be our breakaway to college crazy. Um, an Ellen tweet that went viral of a guy that looks, uh, I look more of a woman than this dude. But full beard, I look more of a woman, but, you know, hey, whatever. I feel like a girl, crap. But first, let's do our uh, American Patriot Almanac. And this is for today, the 18th. We're not going to read the stories because I realize it's kind of boring. Nobody liked history class. Well, I did. I was kind of a geek, but, you know, most people don't. We'll just go over the next three days, um, I guess the next four days, is I think what I have, of key historical events. Uh, today, in 1775, Paul Revere makes his famous ride, the British O.B. coming. Nowadays, it would be, yo, bitches, the British be here. 1861, Civil War approaches. Colonel Robert E. Lee is offered command of the Union Army, and he turns it down. 1906, the Great San Francisco Earthquake. 1942, the Doolittle Raid. That's a good day in history. 78, Senate votes to turn over the Panama Canal. That was stupid. And 1983, a suicide bombing by terrorist group Hezbollah killed 63 people at the U.S. US Embassy in Beirut. For Friday the 19th, 1775, the Revolutionary War begins. 1865, funeral services are held for Abraham Lincoln. 1933, Franklin Delano Roosevelt announces that the U.S. is going off the gold standard. 51, MacArthur relieved of command by Truman. And he did his favorite speech, favorite famous speech. Old soldiers never die, they just fade away. 1995, a bomb explodes in Oklahoma City and that piece of shit Timothy McVeigh that Every one of us is like now because we voted for Trump. Yeah, his ass goes to jail. For the 20th, 1841, Edgar Allan Poe, The Murder in the Rue Morgue, one of the first detective stories, is published. 1861, Robert E. Lee resigns his command from the U.S. Army. 1912, Fenway Park, home of the Boston Red Sox, opens. 1940, this one surprised me. RCA demonstrates the first U.S. electron microscope capable of magnifying 100,000 times. That was 1940. 1999, Columbine High School happens. 
2010, a blowout at BP's Deepwater Horizon offshore drilling rig in Gulf of Mexico kills 11 workers, caused a massive oil spill, but Marky Mark comes in and saves the day. Oh, wait a minute, that's the movie. And then the 21st uh, American History Parade, 1789, John Adams takes oath to become the first U.S. president. 1832, Abraham Lincoln enlists to serve in the Black Hawk War. 1836, Texans win independence from Mexico when forces led by Sam Houston defeats General Santa Ana Army in San Joaquito. 1856, a train crosses the Mississippi River for the first time on a new bridge connecting Rock Island, Illinois and Davenport, Iowa. 1942, Butch O'Hare receives the Medal of Honor. In 1956, Elvis Presley hits number one on the billboard with Heartbreak Hotel. So we're caught up in history. Let's listen to what history will say is, what the fuck was wrong with those people? With Mr. Transgender. And we're going to college crazy. Military veteran and proud transgender woman. The Trump administration's attempted ban on transgender people in the military hits home for me. It's personal. For over three years, I carried caskets in Arlington National Cemetery. I folded American flags for loved ones. I ceremoniously unloaded transfer cases of the remains of our fallen warriors in uniform, being carried home from Iraq and Afghanistan to Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. Every casket and transfer case I carried was covered by an American flag, every single one. And that is all I remember about any of them. I never knew their race. I never knew their religion or education or birthplace. I didn't know their political party or who they voted for. I didn't know what music they liked or their guilty pleasure movie or what they did with their friends on the last Saturday night in their hometown before shipping out to war. I'll never know the names of their parents and spouses and children. I'll never know the intimate details of their personal lives. I'll never know who they loved and how they saw themselves in the world. All I know about those I carried was that they died in selfless service and they wore the flag of this country to the grave. No one at Dover Air Force Base or Arlington National Cemetery asked if those we buried were secretly transgender. It didn't matter then, and it certainly doesn't matter now. The lies perpetuated about transgender people serving in the military have been thoroughly debunked and rejected by medical experts, by budget analysts, by military generals and admirals, by the vast majority of the American people, and not least, by history of Americans who have been barred from service and proved bigots wrong. They barred men of color, they barred women, they barred gay, lesbian, and bisexual people. We have been at this intersection of fear, cynicism, and outright ignorance many times. And we are always reminded that the only true threats to our country's strength are hatred and an absence of character. And yet, even while all this takes place, There are thousands of openly transgender service members, trained professionals, some of the best and brightest our military has to offer serving right now, many of them in combat zones. Despite the stress and anxiety from commander-in-chief who has no faith in them, a commander-in-chief who himself never served a single day in uniform, they continue to meet the highest standards of excellence. Given all this, I have to ask my fellow Americans, is this what we want our beloved country to stand for? Not a corporation. Rutgers is for education. We are not a corporation. We are not a corporation. We are not a corporation. Hi, let's go. 
that was a strike at Rutgers, and they're threatening to not come back and teach the students because they only spent $20 million on diversity. You fucking people. Georgetown student approved mandatory reparation fee. There you go. Georgetown University students voted Thursday in support of establishing a mandatory free fee for undergraduate students to pay the descendants of slaves. According to Georgetown Election Commission, 66.8% of the students who voted supported the measure, while 33.92 did not. The referendum known as GU-272 requires undergraduate students to fork up to $27.20 per semester. Funds collected from the fee will go towards descendants of 272 slaves that Georgetown sold in 1838. The referendum comes as a number of 2020 Democratic president candidates now openly support reparations. Uh, In their little diatribe, the proceeds of GU-272 reconciliation contributions will be allocated to charitable purposes directly benefiting the descendants. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Good stuff there. And then they'll say, I want it paid federally. Okay. I'm not paying for that shit. Students try and fail to oust college president after he defends Israel study abroad. Fitzer College Student Senate failed to pass a resolution demand that Fitzer President Melvin L. Oliver resign for keeping Fitzer's study abroad program in Israel. Starting in early April, the Student Senate began deliberating a resolution demanding that Oliver resign because he vetoed a faculty and student vote to end the college's only study abroad program in Israel with the University of Haifa. The resolution failed with 12 yeas and 20 nays in light of Oliver's vetoing a Fitzer College Council, a governing body of faculty and students, vote to suspend the college study abroad program in Israel on claims that Israel restricts access to students of Palestinian descent and commit human rights violation and they're nasty, nasty Jews. That's that's the whole thing. There's a lot of Zionists in this article. I'll just cut to the chase. Jews. We're liberals. We're anti-Semites. Our dear leader Obama kind of skirted it with his Muslim inklings, but now we're just full-fledged, three-feet-up-a-bull's-ass fucking Semites. Anti-Semites. It's like those Israelites that we were all kind of, wow, I didn't know people like that existed. Yeah, that's like really ingrained in the left. Those dudes on the street corners and the bubbles have really made a lot of people go, yeah, you know what? You're right. Fuck them Peckerwoods. UMN student set government, let's try this in English, UMN student government set to vote on gender pronoun policy. We got a lot of legislation in these colleges, not a lot of learning. Uh, University of Minnesota will vote in May on a gender pronoun policy. A previous version of the policy proposal would have punished the incorrect use of gender pronouns with ending up to including expulsion or termination of employment as campus reform previously reported. However, UMN scrapped the punishment aspect from the policy in February. The controversy surrounding the initial policy revolved around the issue of free speech. UMN student Senator Ian Smith, who goes by... or said the policy is constitutional gray area, as it asks some individuals to go along with the worldview that they may not personally support, adding that it should be your choice, not the university's, as to whether or not you use someone's preferred pronoun. Pronoun. Uh, the university teaches students that mispronouncing someone's pronoun is a microaggression 
and the student should not refer to their pronouns as gender pronouns. Pronouns are not gendered and do not directly... Oh my God! We're gendering words! What the fuck are we going to do? You motherfucking cannibal! You're just an animal if you misgender a pronoun. New York Daily News columnist announces Baylor's women's coach willing to visit the White House. The problem is she has a history of opinions that are damaging to women and the sport she coaches, he says. Mulkey has taken her Baylor team to the White House celebration during the Bush and Obama administration. It's not a political issue for me. It's an honor to go to the White House. I want everyone to say that we went to the White House. I mean, people can say that. Phillips, who writes about the intersection of sports, progressive politics, indicts Mulcahy for guilt by association. He says those White House visits were in the past. The problem is, this is present. Trump hasn't invited a single women's championship team college pro to the White House. Why would you ever want to visit someone who's made it clear they don't want you? He hasn't invited them because of you crazies. They're not going to come. So he doesn't do the inviting unless he knows that people are going to come now. That makes total sense to me. I'm not going to go out there and say, Oh, I want you guys to come here. Go fuck yourself, you fucking Nazi. Yeah, I'm not doing that. New York Meg, the cut, unplanned film is dangerous. It could radicalize people. Let's just stop for a second. What is more radical in our country than feminazis and their cult of abortion? Anybody out there? I mean, we got women crying, protesting. They're afraid they're not going to be able to kill their baby in the 75th trimester. I mean, seriously. I know there's not a 75th trimester. That was just a joke. The pro-life biopic unplanned movie is doing well in theaters, and that has left the left-wing press freaking the fuck out. Even claiming it could get someone killed. Oh, it's incitement. Just facts are incitement now. Hmm. New York Magazine culture outlet, The Cut, attacked the movie about former Planned Parenthood nurse Abby Johnson's biopic as an anti-abortion propaganda film based on a personal, also precarious account. Caitlin Mascalatello claimed Unplanned was trying to distance itself from the people like the killer of abortion, Dr. George Tiller, but was hypocritical because the movie's message contributes to the same murderous extremism. What murders? Who's getting murdered? Oh, the babies are. But you want that. Wait, I'm confused. Mascalatello has also written for Glamour, GQ, and a bunch of other liberal fucking rags. Films like Unplanned could radicalize people who are vulnerable to extremism and have the potential to become violent. It is films like Unplanned that could get more people killed, she claimed. Mosca to Fucanello, further noted as Cuntbag, also tried to tie his murderer to pro-life groups and conservative media. Cuntbag also cast doubt on Johnson's first-hand knowledge of Planned Parenthood and it suggested it could be designed to inspire such attacks. She wrote that the movie was promoted under the guise that this is a narrative based in fact rather than a dangerous call to action. Her supposed evidence for such extreme claims was the film has a familiar villain in Planned Parenthood, positive portrayal of Christian anti-abortion groups, Coalition for Life, and that it showed the actors playing Johnson telling other pro-lifers that many people will drive away from an abortion clinic if they see protesters praying outside. She announced the film from inaccuracies, but even more, the true crux of the film that abortion is unsafe. Well, it's always unsafe for the unborn and can also harm mothers as well. We've talked about it. Planned Parenthood is evil, though it's irresponsible at taking the life of more than 300,000 unborn babies each year, according to live action. She also groaned about the movie showing Coalition for Life, saying things like Planned Parenthood's sex education program has a deadly influence on the youth of today. 
Yeah. Hmm. Mosca cut bag concluded with a creepy antidote from when she atched, watched, why they put atched, unplanned screening, recalling that a woman with white hair and a man in the third row were visibly nodding and gestilating when the actress playing Abby Johnson called for more abortion clinic protest. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was witnessing something scary. Then the lights came on and everyone looked perfectly nice. The only thing scary really is your Planned Parenthood. Now, let's, uh, uh, let's get to the chase of it. Uh, I watched two shows this week. I watched The End of the Residence and then I went into um, 911. And the theme of Hollywood this week was mothers giving birth and they die. Which is very rare. But that was the theme. If you think that wasn't by design, because that's a talking point on the left, that it's more dangerous to have your baby than to abort your baby, you are smoking fucking, I don't know what you're smoking. Maybe you're smoking fucking patchouli oil, or you're fucking huffing on some cactus, because you're on some serious shit, bro. That's not true. It's very rare. Yes, people hemorrhage. There is problems, but I mean, come on. Women used to fucking do it in their bedroom. Now we do it in hospitals. It's a lot safer, but yeah, that was their theme. So, And in line with this, a mag tells teen, nothing wrong with getting an abortion. It's completely normal. And you knew what it was. Teen Vogue calling us Isabella Gomez Sarriamento. If you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag. Continue the magazine's outrageous abortion propaganda in her April 9th article titled, Georgia's Fetal Heartbeat Abortion Ban is an Example of Shaming Perpetuation Through Legislation. Because shaming people is the worst thing you could possibly do, even though that's what the left does all the time. The author rails against Georgia House Bill 41, which prohibits abortion after preborn baby's heartbeat can be detected. Blah, blah, blah. We already know that. Uh, both the legislation on HB 441 with the rhetoric even in the pro-choice movement that no one wants an abortion, the procedure is framed as a person's last resort, a volatile and traumatic decision that someone is pushed to do when they have no other options. But the truth is that way of thinking continues to stigmatize a completely normal medical procedure by sustaining the idea that there's something wrong with getting an abortion. There isn't. I have sex because I know I deserve to feel pleasure even if I don't want to have a child and because it's up to me to decide what I do with my body. But then paradoxically seems horrified at the prospects of having to use birth control. As a sexually active person with a uterus, the sweeping anti-abortion legislation taking effect both in my state and across the country delivers a terrifying reality. I either need to find a long-term birth control option that is compatible with my body, or I could very well face forced motherhood. And we're bringing out the red robes! Forced. Everybody's forced. Mm-hmm. She then goes on to perpetuate the rape culture and asking for predators to be identified to police is not only unreasonable, but inhumane. Then she brings in Christy Blasey Ford, and this article just goes off the fucking rails. Thanks to great articles like this, you get stories like this. Teenage girl births and kills infant, dumps body with help of father. New Jersey woman has been arrested after she allegedly gave birth to a male child in secret, killed him, then discard his body in a dumpster, according to Monmouth County Prosecutor Officer's affidavit of probable cause. McLean reported waived her Miranda rights and confessed to law enforcement after her apprehended after apprehension. The following is an abbreviated description of the events that alleged took place according to McLean reported confession. 
4 a.m. on Thursday, March 29th, 18-year-old Jada McLean gave birth to a child while in the bathroom of a residence in Neptune Township, New Jersey. After cleaning the newborn male in the shower and placing him on the bed, McLean allegedly applied pressure to the infant's chest with her hand in order to end his life. McLean reportedly called for infant-alleged father, 19-year-old Kwamir Mohammed, uh, told him that she had given birth to the child she named Legend, then wrapped the deceased infant in a blanket, and she then placed it in a bag and deposited in the back seat of her vehicle. McLean allegedly picked up the Mohammed in her vehicle and drove to the beach as well as Mohammed Place of Residence, spending approximately an hour at each location. She then drove an Ashbury Park apartment building where Mohammed exited the car and disposed of the deceased infant in the dumpster like some fucking old fries. The affidavit explained that April 4th, a friend of McLean alerted authorities to the infant's birth and suspected murder after McLean sent her photos of the infant lying on the bed. The friend reportedly claimed that in November she was with McLean in a Kmart when McLean took a pregnancy test. The outcome of the test was apparently unclear. In February, McLean allegedly revealed her growing stomach to her friend and said that she was attempting to terminate the fetus by smoking, drinking, and ingesting drugs. Under New York law, Vermont law, and the other laws... This is totally legal, folks. She's a mother. She can do that. It's not murder. What does that say about a society? Anybody? When this is what our kids are doing. And yes, they're both African Americans. And yes, Muhammad's a Muslim. So not even their fucking religion saved them from the culture of abortion. I mean, next article. Alyssa Milano seeks pro-abortion stories, gets pro-life ones instead. She's going to start a podcast. I, your humble host, will delve into that bullshit for you and give a report. I'm sure it's going to be painful. It doesn't come out till I think, May. Pro-abortion actress Alyssa Milano took to Twitter on Friday to ask followers to send her personal abortion stories so she could share them on her podcast. Her goal, she said, was to help shine a light on the importance of abortion. It's so important for our society. In return, pro-lifers and regretful post-abortive women shared the reason why they were against abortion. Her tweet, I'd like to share your personal abortion story on my podcast to help shine a light on the importance of body, uh, body bodily autonomy. I thought it was just body autonomy. Whatever, we just keep evolving. I guess killing a baby is bodily autonomy. That's nice. Please record story on your voice memo app and email it to below address. If you'd like to remain anonymous, please say so in your email. Sorry, not sorry. Nearly one in four women in the United States will have an abortion by age 45. Do you want to share your story on sorry, not sorry? Email submissions to at sorrynotsorrypod.com. So it's submissions at sorrynotsorry.pod. Elizabeth Mooby. I had an abortion at age 23. Missed out on what a precious life and gift I chose to give up. I'm thankful for God's grace and forgiveness and for raising my precious baby in heaven. I get to see my child when I get to heaven. What an amazing day that will be. Heidi Latiath. It's personal, the most difficult decision I ever made. I would never talk about my story to encourage abortion. I would discourage it. So obviously you wouldn't want to hear my story. And she's probably right. Milano, like the mainstream media, likely won't share the stories of women regret their abortions. Abortion advocates like to present those women, pretend, excuse me, those women don't exist. Those women's stories don't fit the pro-abortion narrative. Other women shared how choosing life was the best decision. Talk to me, Melody said, I went to an abortion clinic daily for over a month, couldn't do it. 
Thank God I didn't because my beautiful daughter is one of my greatest gifts to the world. Hashtag I was raped. Hashtag me too. Hashtag emphasize. Woo! That's not what you're thinking, isn't it? Jenny Root. Born to live, not die. The baby I was told to abort. A miracle. With a beautiful picture of her fully grown. Super Coop. My grandmother was going to abort my mom but changed her mind last minute. Thankfully, that means my mom, my two brothers, myself, and my two children gotta be born. Wow. Oops, forgot my three adorable nieces as well. That's pretty powerful. San Francisco, late night. Uh, this is Don't Find Me. Late 1973, my mother told my three separate doctors at three different facilities to abort because she was 39. Latina, and this would be her sixth. Was it racism? You don't have to tell your husband how many babies didn't make it in this situation. Even abortion survivor Claire Colwell responded to Milano saying, My birth mother had a D&E abortion that aborted my twin but missed me. Her abortion traumatized her. She says if she could go back to when she was pregnant with me, knowing what abortion does, she would have made a different choice. Abortion hurts women, and women deserve better. Men took their turns responding to Milano as well. Flem74. Gotta get a better handle, bro. My ex-partner aborted our baby without me knowing. Only person out of three killed and, and led to five years of anxiety, depression, and self-loathing for the other two. Struggling to see the autonomy here. Oh, and our baby was killed. Have a nice day, Alyssa. And it goes on. So she clearly didn't get what she wanted. But, you know, that's their culture. Fuck them babies. Fuck them babies, those pieces of shit. I need my body autonomy. And, you know, it shows how much we've degradated. Oh, also, Women's March wants Trump off fucking Twitter. They're pushing that. They'll probably get it. You watch. That's the other abortion wackos. But um, I hate going back to it. Sandra Fluke is ridiculous that women have to pay for the birth control even though they go into a fucking Ivy League school and are richer than most of us. You remember that? We went from that to free birth control to now... We need free abortions. Well, fuck, dude. If you're using the birth control, you don't need the goddamn abortion. I understand there's extenuating circumstances. I'm living proof. I had to get a vasectomy at 23 because we had two beautiful children. We didn't want any more because we knew it would be hard to raise them because I was a soldier. We didn't have money. The wife couldn't keep a job because we kept moving every two fucking years. So my wife couldn't take birth control. She tried three different ones. It didn't work. She'd have 55 periods. And I love her, but she's a biatch when she was on her period. I mean, she was just mean. So we made the choice. I had to go to a psychiatrist. She had to go to a psychiatrist. We had to literally get vetted over six months. We were separated. I was in Korea. Um, and then I went and got clipped. So I understand some women can't do it. But you got shots, IUDs, pills, rubber. Be a fucking adult. And to hear that story that they that she purposely killed her kid and then the dad just threw it in a dumpster like some old fucking McDonald's wrappers that he found in his car. What the fuck is wrong with you? These are the people that are supposed to value life and love the planet. You can't even love a baby. To you, a baby is just a fucking throwaway. Fucking sick. To the other cult. Yeah, we're going to LGBT news. Protesters hijacks Chick-fil-A Zamboni in Cincinnati NHL game to stage a brilliant sneak attack on homophobia. 
Yeah, this is true. A group of protesters infiltrated Chick-fil-A branded Fam Sam and rode around the ice carrying Chick-fil-A as anti-gay signs. Protests took place during a game between Cincinnati Cyclones and the Kalamazoo Wings. The fans rode on what's known as a Chick-fil-A Fanzam, a customized Zamboni that takes fans for a spin around the ice for a $10 fee. Officials of the Cincinnati Cyclones said the group concealed the messages on birthday sign and unfolded their actual message when they got on the ice. And, man, if you can't... If, Jesus Christ, dude. The dude just said he didn't fucking want game, game area. That's all he said. They employ gay people, you. Jesus. I won't read the story, but go over to the Daily Wire. And Matt Walsh did. LGBT lobby has been trying to ex- exact revenge on chicken restaurant for seven years. This is not normal. And it's not. It's just totally not normal. It's an opinion. You know, I. Hey, when somebody does something bad to vets. Sorry, the mic tilted. Um. Yeah, I'm going to get pissy. But I, I don't fucking carry it on forever. There was a time Starbucks wouldn't support troops and send coffee. Bunch of people got pissed at them. They reversed course. I let it go. You got to let things go, people. Jesus Christ. Then we got these wizards. California moving towards ban on little shampoo conditioner bottles from hotels. That'll save the goddamn planet. Good for you guys. California alone, hotels use hundreds of millions of single-use plastic bottles every year. Uh, We can get those bottles out of the waste stream, but also cut the production of them. Blah, blah, blah. It's a significant step forward to make sure that these bottles do not get into the bay. AB1162 is working its way through Sacramento. You got tens of thousands of motherfuckers living on the street. Fucking shit on the street. Needles on the street. But you go get them little bottles. Yeah, that'll save the panel. Right now, a polar bear is living because of the little bottle. Good for you. You fucking simpletons. Then in our category of everything's racist. Yes, everything. Comes this article. Sophia Lung. Library Social Justice Critical Race Theory. Whiteness as Collections. I had this interesting mini eureka moment a few weeks ago that I wanted to share for a few reasons. One, I don't usually reflect on the connections that help me understand how I learned something new. Blah, 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 blah. Fuck you. I like to show students an inspiration for new research or scholarly ideas. It doesn't have to come from only scholarly publications. Three, I need to write it out to fully understand. Maria Kondo has been in the zeitgeist for a while, but especially now that she has a Netflix series. I saw the first episode a while back, and it reminded me of how having a space clean of clutter and mess could really help the mind feel clearer. Okay, I'm not about it. Then I listen to Still Processing Podcast episode, if you don't listen to SP, you're missing out, where Jenna and Wesley talk about Maria Kondo and got really deep about it, and they usually do. They got into legacy and asked, what does that we leave behind say about us? They remark on how American materialism is connected to Kondo Marine method of Shinto and induced me to Swedish death cleaning. Jesus fucking shit. Three, I recently facilitated an instructional session for the reading and writing autobiography course where I used Maria Kondo and Still Processing Episode, an example of mind mapping. The students were going to write a personal investigation at blah, blah, blah. In 2017, yeah, this goes right back, for a white as fuck conference. I just want to read the first couple because I knew this was the paragraph, but 
she needs to just go jerk off to Maria Kondo. What the fuck, man? I don't talk about people that way. We get obsessed. So, yeah, this goes way back. A white-as-fuck conference. I shared an Airbnb with Vanny Nadajuran, an amazing librarian of color. So is all the books colored? Is that what we're saying? I don't know. Whose thinking continues to push me and who I respect and admire so much. She was able to convince her library to send their student workers to Joint Council of the Librarians of Color Conference. Wow, there's a fucking conference for everything. And we had some really interesting discussions where I learned a lot. One of the mind-blowing things she shared was this idea how our library collections, because they are written mostly by straight white men, are a physical manifestation of white men ideas taking up all the space in our library stacks. Pause here and think about this. Okay, everybody do it. Yeah, did you come up with this is fucking stupid? That's what I came up with. If you don't already know, whiteness is property is a seminal critical race theory concept first introduced by Cheryl I. Harris in her 93 Harvard Law Review article by the same name. She writes, Slavery as a system of property facilitated the merger of white identity and property, and the formation of whiteness as property requires the erasure of natives' peoples. Basically, white people want to stay being white because of the privilege and protection whiteness afforded under the law and they created. Harris also makes this really good point. Whiteness and property share a common premise, a conceptual nucleus of right to exclude. Bam! That really hits it on the head. Whose head? Because that makes absolutely no... That's just some bullshit you made up because you're a racist. That's a fancy way of saying, I hate fucking white people. That's using Harvard words to say, fucking peckerwood, cracker. As I'm collaborating on this book about CRT and library and information studies, I've been having a lot of discussions on these topics with some really smart folks. She spells folks, F-O-L-X. She's really woke. At a call, okay, I'm not even going on. So the, basically, the, it divides down the United States Library Collection and institutes a bunch of goddamn white people. It should be black people. It's just white, straight, male. All the books that are in there that are written by minorities are enough. And we basically need to burn fucking books now. I want to break it down. How fucking racist are you that you think libraries are racist? There are very few white people that fit your mold of I'm trying to maintain whiteness for whiteness. They're called white supremacists. There are very few of those people walking around. There's very few KKK motherfuckers. There's only a few David Dukes in the fucking world. There is a shit ton of race hustlers who hate white people. There are more hate white people people in the United States now than there are hate black people people. They're on our TVs. Most of them are white liberals. And you guys have started a cottage industry of all the things that white people fuck up. All the things white people do. You made up white privilege. You made up all this bullshit. You know, now most of us just leave our fucking house and go, God damn it, I don't want to fight traffic. I just got to get a gallon of milk. We're not thinking about those black people might get my milk. I know black people don't get milk because you said it's racist. We played that on the show. I'm not worried about not being able to get my milk because it's racist. Or my mayonnaise, which is also racist. That's a racist thing. It's white people sauce. I read that on Twitter. Y'all need to find a mirror and look at yourself because you're just created an industry to talk fancy. Just break it down right. I fucking hate white people. Cleanse your soul. Say it. 
White people need to die, all of them, and we need to all turn into Black Panther land. That's what you're looking for? Good. Be honest. Jesus Christ. Then we got this weird one. Detroit couple creates Netflix-like service with pro-socialist programming. It went all over the place, and my question is, it's already socialist, so why do we need another one? Jesus. Then Netflix comes out with a quick PSA. Can we stop calling chick flicks unless the films are literally about small baby chicks? Here's why this phrase should absolutely be retired. For starters, chick flicks are traditionally synonymous with romantic comedies. This suggests that women are the only people interested in one romance, two comedy. Which I can promise from, from the men I've come across in my life simply isn't true. They aren't sweeping categories specific to men. You don't hear people watch man movies. Instead, pretty much every intersection and genre is on the table and seen as for men, except, of course, the aforementioned rom-coms. The term also cheapens the work that goes into making these types of films. Romantic comedies and our films centered around female leads go through just as much editing, consideration, and rewriting as any other film. And nicknaming film Chick Flicks drives home that there is something trivial about watching them. But what's trivial about watching a film that makes you feel 1,000 emotions in 90 minutes? Amy Curtis, a woman of color. No, it doesn't. Get over yourself. Now saying chick flicks is fucking sexist. Okay. Then we have this article. Netflix employs practicing Wiccans to fact check Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. We have a few people are practicing Wiccans. Okay, good for you. To our crazy fucking crime, this one just, I don't even understand what this means. I joked with the wife, eating some Cheetos, trying to demonstrate. Florida man arrested outside Olive Garden after eating pasta belligerently. The man was allegedly shoving spaghetti into his mouth with his hands. Disorderly intoxication is what he got, but I mean, how do you eat? The next time I'm in spaghetti, I'm just going to shovel it in my mouth. I'm belligerently eating spaghetti. Hey, what does that even mean? Man sues parents over trash porn collection. You know, if this was a thing. I would have sued my mom about a million times. I get a porn mag because I looked older when I was young. You remember the ones? They weren't really porn. It was like Playboy, but you saw vagina. So that was the difference. And she'd find that fucker every time. A man now living in Indiana is suing his parents after he says they destroyed his valuable porn collection. F-17 is choosing to identify the plaintiff as Charlie. And this is a civil case without any criminal association. Case dates back to October 2016, when according to a lawsuit filed by this week, Charlie moved to his parents' home in Grand Haven. After going through a divorce from his wife, Charlie apparently stayed for 10 months in their home doing housework, lieu of paying rent. They basically found the shit and they threw it out. So, there it is. 44, wow, 44 boxes of porn, 86,000. You got a problem, bro. You got a problem. But it's not as much a problem as this person. Woman marries her eight-year-old zombie doll. Look it up. It's viral. What the fuck? I don't even want to talk about it because it's so fucking creepy. Why police are great. Read what this officer did for bully nine-year-old boy. If you haven't seen that one, that's viral too. You can find it on Facebook. It is really nice what they did for this poor kid. But, of course, it's never going to make the media because, you know, cops are racist. Even the black ones. Even the black ones. So, that's our flip the script. We're going to go into fire for effect after our music break today. We're going to go with a little Godsmack. Trippin'. 
I, I found a bunch of old CDs, and I forgot my Jeep has, you know, satellite and all that bullshit. Plays DVDs, yada, yada. But I hadn't listened to a full CD for a long time. So I, the first one was Seven Dust. Um, I don't remember the name of the album. It's a good one with praise and all that on it. And I was like, man, I forgot about this song, this song, this song. And then I grabbed Awake and remembered the concert. And man, Godsmack just, it just gets you fired up. So we're going to do Trippin' today by Godsmack. And we'll go into a fire for effect with a lot of fucking stupid.
Conway represented an administration that looks like that wants to do something, wants to do a deal, but her boss doesn't sound like somebody that wants to do a deal. Yeah, there's a magical fantasy land where we have a president who cares about solving other people's problems. And if we had that president, then we would expand the detention centers. We'd vet the kids in their home countries so they don't have to take the walks. We'd probably ask mayors to take in some right. of these folks, We'd right? We'd fix the release system so they're released in coordination with humanitarian agencies. We do what any mayor and governor would do. You just, there's a problem here, let's fix the problem. But unfortunately, President Trump sees every problem as a chance for his own performative narcissism, as a chance for, for him to show what, what a man he is. Uh, and so everything becomes not a solution. Everything just becomes a pose, show business. Mm -hmm. And the, the upshot is he's tried to deter immigration through cruelty. And that's been a miserable failure, and that's why we have this problem. Would you accept any of the deal parameters that Kelly and Conway laid out today? Look, you could have a, you could have that conversation, and you could make a deal, but not with Donald Trump. You couldn't. You couldn't with the president who says, "Let's get rid of judges." Let's, you know, it was, um, as, as David said, it is performative. It is um, showing what a tough guy. He is. It is not finding solutions to problems. This is a, you know, we're a country of 330 million people. The you know richest, most powerful country on earth. Yes, we can deal with 50,000 you know, people on the, on, the, on the border. It's not that big a deal for us to handle that if we choose to handle that and handle it properly. We have laws that provide for asylum. Let's follow the law. Let's, you know, let's, let's build the facilities and, and put the people in place, and let's get it done. I, I'm not sure I agree with you about, about the fact that we can handle this. I do think this is a genuine crisis, and that's all the more reason why we need to adapt our laws, why we need to update, why we need to, why we need to move ahead with some of the changes that Kellyanne Conway laid out very normally, I thought. But I want to talk about the president for a second, because I think we reached a turning point in the last week in which, you know, feral marketing reality TV guy Donald Trump actually widened the, the chasm between himself and proper governance yeah. in which I where knew that was possible I, I, I really was surprised but you know when we see this we see an administration struggling running to keep up with him to execute the increasingly random things that he's saying that 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 is also a crisis in my opinion because if this gets worse we are looking at another year and a half of uh, of mismanagement of lack of governance and of genuine democratic crisis that's meet the press acting like a bunch of petulant school kids. We then have Brian Seltzer, the White House press secretary's father, is working for Fox again. Anna Navarro, grindiness, hyphen name Navarro.
Today I saw a video clip of Pete Buttelig playing classical piano. Another where he speaks Spanish, and this one where he's telling Parisians he shares their pain in French. Just imagine having a president whose intellect exceeds that of a root vegetable for a change. Two spelling errors in that. Why do I cover that? It's like the -the run-of-the-mill, Tony. That's just normal shit. CNN loses nearly 50% of primetime audience, MSDNC down 30 The far-left CNN lost a jaw-dropping 47% of its primetime audience and 41% of its total day viewers. MSDNC did not fare all that much better. During primetime, the left-wing outlet lost 28% of its viewers. Throughout the day, 20% of its viewers. During the 25-54 to age demo that everybody wants, CNN lost 52% total day, 58% primetime. MSDNC lost 43% total day and 48% primetime. Again, by comparison, Fox last lost 20% of demo viewers in total day and 29% primetime. MSNBC was as distant... Okay, Fox News, number one in all cable with 2,438,000 during primetime, MSDNC is 1.6 million. CNN's only 690,000 people are watching. The Food Network kicks their ass. That's primetime. That means during a three-hour period, they're only getting 690,000 weirdos to show over. What the fuck, dude? What the fuck? That means people were just tuning in because they believed your bullshit. And then when you lied to them again, they ran. So you reap what you sow. So, sore? It's a sore so. So let's go into Omar. This is a tweet by Trump, and I just love it. Care was founded after 9 11 because they recognized that some people did something. You have no idea right now. Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. (gasps) Some people did something. Oh, my goodness. There is smoke pouring out the Pentagon. Some people did something. It just flew straight into it. So that tweet of a side-by-side of 9-11 and her very own words. The tight, tight talking point, as we'll see by Neon Taser, is incitement. Incitement to violence. That's how they're playing this since our last podcast. Omar, we are all Americans. This is endangering lives. It has to stop. Since the president's tweet Friday evening, I experienced an increase in direct threats on my life and many directly referencing or replying to the president's video. I think the Capitol Police and FBI and taking care of me, violent crimes and other acts of hate by right-wing extremists and white, the lie is continuing. Violent rhetoric and all forms of hate speech have no place in our society, much less in the country commander-in-chief. We are all Americans. This is endangering lives. It has to stop. That was her statement. Son Davis, Kaya Jones, Dustin Craig, I'll say, some people said some things. 
because that's what she said. And then Dustin Craig does this one. Try this. I apologize for my insensitive remarks on the devastating tragedy which occurred on September 11th. My choice of words was poor, and I regret that I heard so many affected by the tragedy. Americans should never forget, but we should always look to a better future. Well, why can't she do that? Why can't the left do it? Why can't the media do it? Oh, no, 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 no. They're all in on it. It's so bad. This is our This Is America segment for today. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing the liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. We love America. Who do you love? Dueling protests outside the president's event fueled the feud between Mr. Trump and Democrat Ilhan Omar, one of the first Muslim women in Congress. The conflict started after Mr. Trump tweeted, we will never forget, along with a clip of Omar talking about attacks on Muslims since September 11th, edited with searing images of that day. Some people did something. Critics claim Omar was too casual in talking about 9-11, but her supporters say the comment made at a conference for the Muslim advocacy group CARE was taken out of context. CARE was founded after 9-11. Because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. Omar said she experienced direct threats on her life after the president posted the video. Omar has previously spoken out about Israel's influence in Washington, which drew criticism from both parties and the president. No, she doesn't like Israel, does she? Oh, let's talk about where controversies come from. You've probably heard a lot about Congresswoman Ilan Omar this week, but do you know why? Do you know how it started? Controversies don't just erupt naturally like a bolt of lightning sparking a fire. No, controversies are created like an arsonist lighting a match. But too often our news coverage in the papers and on TV and online starts mid-story. We say something like, "Uh, there's a controversy brewing among these two people, but we leave out the most important part, the lighting of the match. So the Daily Caller posted four minutes of video to YouTube. Then an Australian man who calls himself a Muslim scholar and is very active on Twitter set the frame for a week's worth of news coverage. The framing you can see here was that Omar was downplaying 9-11. His tweet took off and it spread to right-wing websites. Uh, It was uh, all over these sites by Tuesday. Then on Tuesday night, Sean Hannity brought the video to television. He covered it on Tuesday night. And then come Wednesday, Fox and Friends was all over it. Brian Kilmeade was questioning Omar's patriotism. This went on and on for days and days. And then on Thursday, this was the cover of the New York Post. Some people did something. Four words. Probably not the best choice of words. It's easy for me to sit here and say I would have chosen different words, right? But the point is that this controversy was created. I think we do a much better job when we widen way out. And part of widening out involves showing where did this controversy come from? How was it created in the first place? Who created it? 
Who stands to benefit from being created and who stands to lose? Who stands to suffer? These are the big questions that I think we should be asking uh, when there are these eruptions that happen. Let's talk about this and the development with what the president tweeted on Friday, that video taking Congresswoman Ilhan Omar's uh, words uh, out of context here in the address she gave to CARE. Uh, and now the congresswoman says there have been increased threats to her safety, death threats for her. You've got uh, Nancy Pelosi saying that she's been talking to the sergeant in arms about protecting her. What is the strategy here from Team Trump on this? This is an opportunity for the president to change the narrative and not have people talking about his tax returns or other investigations or the Mueller report. He seizes on every opportunity that he gets to shine the spotlight on some of these progressive members of Congress and to paint them as the other. The president is using her as a foil as he tries to use some of the other high-profile uh, newer representatives who are Democrats in Congress uh, to somehow tar the entire uh, Democratic Party. Uh, that is completely out of context uh, and just beyond the pale in terms of uh, a political attack. And, and what do all the people that he's vilifying have in common? They're all people of color. You know, it is all, you know, AOC, uh, Omar, I mean, this is, you know, whether it's the basketball players or the football players, I mean, it's he's always after people of color, and that is not a coincidence. I want to move on to the issue with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and President Trump's tweet that Nancy Pelosi and the Congresswoman herself say um, has upped the amount of death threats that the Congresswoman is getting. They've seen a, a spike in the, the threats against her, and so the Capitol Police, et cetera, are having to expend extra resources to protect her. Does the president know that he's putting her in danger? Well, I don't think it's the president who's putting her in danger. I think it's her ill-thought-out words that she used to describe the greatest terror attack on the history of United States soil. Tensions reaching a fever pitch between President Donald Trump and freshman Minnesota Congresswoman Elon Omar. Omar saying overnight she's receiving an increase in death threats following a tweet Friday from the president accusing her of downplaying the September 11th terror attacks. Omar issuing a statement overnight saying in part, violent crimes and other acts of hate by right-wing extremists and white nationalists are on the rise in this country and around the world. We can no longer ignore that they are being encouraged by the occupants of the highest office in the land. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is saying she'll take steps to ensure freshman Representative Ilhan Omar's safety after President Trump targeted her on Twitter after a remark about 9-11. The freshman congresswoman says she has seen an increase in direct threats against her life after President Trump tweeted a video mixing footage of the congresswoman who is Muslim giving a recent speech with footage of the 9-11 attacks. In a statement, Omar says, quote, violent rhetoric and all forms of hate speech have no place in our society much less from our country's commander-in-chief. One of the first Muslim women to serve in Congress, Democrat Ilhan Omar, says she has faced an increase in death threats following a controversial tweet by President Trump. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is asking the U.S. Capitol Police to conduct a security assessment for Congresswoman Omar. The Speaker is one of many Democrats now accusing the President of trying to incite violence against the first-term lawmaker who previously has had death threats made against... I don't want to hear anybody say that our media is not biased. I just don't want to hear anybody. That's incitement in my my book. That was CBS chiding Trump supporters for stating facts. Seltzer deriding the media for covering what she said. CNN defending it. Then everybody in a roundup that this made me. 
Her statement didn't make evening news. The defense of her statement made the evening news. And they still don't play it. If a Republican said, Pulse Nightclub, yeah, some people killed some gays, but what we need to focus on is the uh, terrorism overseas. That would be outrageous. We would have meltdowns on CNN and MSDNC and the major networks. They would lose their fucking minds over that. That would be horrible. But her saying some people did something. We're fucking okie-dokie, artichokey. No biggie. Just chill, man. You're inciting violence for saying her own goddamn words. Brian Seltzer, civic conversation in America is dysfunctional in part because we have so many so many such outrage exhibitionists. These folks strip in artfully phrased remarks of con, out of context, ignoring the speaker's intentions and putting imputing the least charitable possible means. My tweet has been retweeted like eighty times. This is the premise for your whole show, Brian Seltzer. The whole CNN network is taking little tidbits. Murders and rapists. That's what the media has done since 20-fucking-16. He never said it. He was talking about MS-13. They've done it four times since where he has said murders and rapists about MS-13 animals. And they've said he said it about all immigrants. But when you do it against a black Muslim, oh my God. Praship Chakur likes CNN. The irony is, of course, that this is what CNN, Washington Post, MSDNC, and most of the media do on a consistent basis. AG conservatives. Just in the last week, Omar has said that Trump is not human. She has lied about him comparing those seeking asylum to animals and has spread several other lies. Do her words carry any weight? Do these things put Trump's life at risk? Or does this only work one way? Maggie Haberman. Part of Trump's appeal to the GOP base in 2016 was based on expressing explicit fears of Muslims. And Omar, his aides and allies, believes he found the perfect foil to try to tag the entire Dem party with. Ben Shapiro artfully goes, pounce! Pounce. Washington Post global opinion editor Karen Atia. Ilian Omar's identity lies at the intersection of everything white America has been taught to fear and eliminate. Black, female, immigrant, visibly Muslim. It's sad that American in 2019, we have a legitimate reason to fear for her safety. Really? That's the angle you're going to go? This is just like Obama. The media pretends that if you're black, a female... A black female, a Muslim black female, you can say whatever you want, there's no consequences. And if you say anything against them, you're racist, sexist, xenophobe. And I just don't think America's buying it. I talked to a group of people the other day, female, black. I think there was even a gay person, but I don't do surveys on this type of things. And they said, what she said was fucked up. Neon Taser breaks it down. Decide to redo this as a thread. Pay attention to how tight the message is in defense of Omar and how precise and consistent the wording is from media, politics, academia, etc. Also, I'm not searching for these. I'll just add ones that pop in my timeline. Kyle Griffin. 
AOC, the 9-11 New York Post cover, is such a transparently and politically motivated attack on Eon. We're getting to the level where this is an incitement of violence against progressive women. Chris Hayes, the president is actively and willfully endangering the life of members of Congress. L.D. Norhia, you spoke up about Mo, uh, Eon Minnesota's tropes. You have a duty to speak out about the horrific incitement happening against her. Elizabeth Warren, inciting violence. Jordan Sheraton, lead with our values. Tom Perez, refusing to defend Eon Minnesota, Muslim congresswoman, who just had a target placed on her back. Natasha Rothwell, make no mistake, real Donald Trump video was called for arms. He's inciting violence, stoking xenophobia, promoting Islamophobia, and calling upon his white nationalist base to attack a woman of color because he believes himself to be generally superior to her. I stand with Eon was actually a a hashtag. Once again, stating her words. Just her words. He didn't say anything else. Jay Inslee, President Trump's inflammatory and dangerous rhetoric towards Omar is jeopardizing her safety. He's deliberately putting her and all Muslim Americans in harm's way. Karen Atiyah, Minnesota, Ian, Minnesota, identify, identity lies in the intersection. Where to read it? Jenna Johnson out of Tow Hall, South Carolina. Beto O'Rourke described in detail the video that Trump tweeted that splices together comments made by Omar and 9-11 footage. He concludes, this is an incitement. To violence, Matt McDermott, the GOP attack on Omar follows a typical playbook. Incite violence against opponents. Violence occurs against opponents. Feign outrage when held accountable. <clears throat> I don't remember the incitement of a baseball field being shot up. I don't know of anybody being attacked because Omar said some people did something. Nobody has proof of it. There's nothing out there. Nobody's been attacked. Ronald Brownstein An important point is any Republican or conservative critical of Omar willing to acknowledge Trump is inciting violence against a political appointment. Andrew Gilliam, incitement. Uh, Pete Butlig, incitement. Christopher Mathias, incitement. Brian Butler, incitement. Molly Jong Fast, except the President of the United States is encouraged to violence with his explosive rhetoric and propaganda videos. I added Max Berger, Jews need to understand that Muslims now play the role we have played throughout our history. They are blamed for the failures of people in power. In this time of rising fascism, American Jews must defend Omar and her Muslim brothers and sisters with all our might. The right, including some Jews, want you to think that American Jews and Muslims are enemies, but we're both threatened by Trump's promoting lies and conspiracy theories that incite this white nationalist fans to commit violence against us. If you side with him, you're helping. Right-wing Jews like Ben Shapiro are actively aiding the rise of white nationalism in the U.S. by supporting Trump. Intentionally or not, they're increasing likelihood of violence against American Jews and Muslims. Jews and Muslims should stand against their hate. It goes on for about 75 more tweets. I listen to Ben Shapiro every day. He does nothing but deride white nationalism. He doesn't support Trump. He mocks him. When he's right, he's right. When he's not, he's not. American University professor Abraham X. Kendi, who also director of the school's anti-racist research and policy center, wrote this. It goes without saying that I stand with Omar, and anyone who does not stand with Omar stands with Islamophobia, with racism, with politicians deploying lies to inflame racial and religious territory and terror in this country. That goes on for 75 more tweets.
So you're basically a racist and a xenophobe if you think her words were bad. Nancy Pelosi, the memory of 9-11 is a sacred ground, and any discussion of it must be done with reverence. The president shouldn't use the painful images of 9-11 for political attack. As we visit our troops in Stuttgart to thank them and be briefed by them, we honor our first responsibility as leaders to protect and defend the American people. It is wrong for the president, as commander-in-chief, to fan the flames to make anyone less safe. She didn't defend her, but she got the incitement. Brandon Friedman, silence from Speaker Pelosi and Schumer is not going to work. We're going to need a statement soon, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Donald Trump, Steny Hoyer, Dan Crenshaw, and everyone else who has demonized Ilhan Omar is actively participating in a dangerous and shameful evil. They play the victims so well. Then we went, first congressman to say this. They took their anger towards Dan Crenshaw. Crenshaw responds politely but forcefully to spiteful accusations from AOC and Ilhan Omar. We covered the last podcast. But it doesn't stop there. The Obama bro, Brian Butler, took it to the next level. This is his actual tweet. Just so we are clear on the basic notions of reality. You promoted a smear meant to incite racist hatred of your Muslim colleague by taking her words out of context and now want to shirk responsibility for the consequences. You're a disgrace and won't be allowed to shirk anymore. The failure of most Democrats to defend Omar is pathetic, and even some who've stepped up have stopped short at criticizing the nature of Republican attacks without noting that they are premised on an appalling deception. Republicans are lying. Tell people the truth. How are you lying when you're just stating her words, playing the video, and how did he incite racist hatred towards her? He dutifully, like all of us, were appalled by what she said. That's not inciting anything. You're stating what she said. A reply. So, so we're clear on basic notions of reality. You're promoting a fallacy meant to shut up a group of people calling out an anti-Semite embraced by the Democratic Party. Yeah. Another one. Just so we are clear on the basic notions of reality, Democrats know there is no logical way to defend Omar many, many offensive anti-Semitic and anti-American statements, so they're making up the inciting violence line to distract from them. But within this, as the media, <clears throat> the Democrats, do this inciting violence, there is violence being incited on an American vet, a wounded warrior. Wounded SEAL Dan Crenshaw, mocked by left as Captain Shithead, Nazi, eyeless fuck. Navy SEAL, who was winner of Afghanistan, was derided the left and accused of playing the wounded victim after he called for deference in discussions of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Crenshaw, 35, who wears an eye patch after losing his right eye in Afghanistan, has received two bronze stars, including one with Valor, the Purple Heart, and a Navy Commendation Medal with Valor. He criticized Omar. We talked about it. Um... NBC, uh, the freshman congressman posted a video of his comments to NBC on Twitter, drawing attacks from numerous critics on Twitter on Saturday. Talia Levin, the racist piece of shit, 
A New York University journalism professor resigned from the New Yorker last year after she incorrectly identified a U.S. immigrant immigration officer as a Nazi sympathizer, slammed Crenshaw's Captain Shithead, the real victim Captain Shithead speaks, wrote Levin, like linking to Crenshaw's video. Freelance writer Rob Rousseau wrote to Crenshaw, you're deliberately lying about what Omar says, you eyeless fuck. The comment appeared to have been removed. Crenshaw was elected to Congress last November. He joined the U.S. Navy in 2006, blah, 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 blah. Wow, it's GOP Nazi party terrorist incitement right on the NBC, wrote Valley, linking to Crenshaw uh, account. Ryan Cooper, a national correspondent at The Week, blasted Crenshaw comment as fascist propaganda and claimed the congressman was playing the wounded victim. Classic fascist propaganda technique, whip up a storm of murder frenzy, then apparently play the wounded victim. An educated hillbilly brings multiple, multiple of this. Matt Ferrari. Herder, look at me, everybody. I'm Dan Crenshaw with an eye patch, openly mocking him, and then he blocked his account from everybody else. Yeah. So, it's so bad that these are all of Talia Levin's comments. When did the memory of 9-11 become sacred? In what way? And to whom? And that really struck a disgraced New York fact checker, Talia Levin's craw, when he said that, the real victim, Captain Shithead, speaks. I read that all fucked up. And then she wrote, I see the right-wing pearl clutchers are here. Sorry, it's my right to criticize a political hat who was also once a troop. Actually, you're right. I should respect his rank. His name is Lieutenant Commander Shithead. Because he's incredibly racist, just inflamed with bigotry. Super, super racist. Ran a racist Facebook page before he got elected. He was literally part of an F Facebook group that called Islam a cancer. That's We've already checked that. It's not true. And then Mike Gillette brings up the next thing. The entire point of Salman Bin Laden's attack on 3,000 innocent Americans on 9-11 was that he was counting on a racist idiot like Trump to come along up to his ears in fear and bigotry and weaponize it against Muslims. He's a disgusting little man and a shame on the human race. These are the people that couldn't even make it six months. And they were already playing politics. We got six months grace in America. And then they were saying it's our fault. Those poor terrorists, those poor people, it's our fault. Democracy Now! even did a whole thing on the Bush 9-11 stuff. I mean, it's a video. Sources of the federal government uh, go to help the victims and their families and and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and to find those folks who committed this act. To find the folks who committed this act. Yeah, so that, in, to my ear, that sounds quite similar to what Ilhan Omar said. And, and in fact, George Bush is saying it to the whole country. Um, and he's uh, not uh, uh, considered to be anti-American for that statement whatsoever. So, I, in fact, I think what Ilhan Omar is saying is p- completely within the, you know, the boundaries of what is normal political discourse in this country. So after all this bullshit, when they play, they're the victim, they don't even say what it is, that stupid video saying Trump's or Bush said about the same thing. Are you fucking stoned? Really? You called him a warmonger, but now he said some people did something? Really? These are her tweets. 
This country was founded on the idea justice of liberty of the pursuit of happiness, but these core beliefs are under threat. Each and every day we are under threat by an administration that would rather cage children than pass comprehensive immigration reform. Your last sentence just described the Obama administration. Where were you then? Was the, the actual tweet I had. Then, an administration that would rather give billionaires tax breaks than provide a little cushion for working people. An administration that would rather attack fellow Americans who are transgender and wear our country's uniform than fight for the quality opportunity. I did not run for Congress to be silent. I did not run for Congress to sit on the sidelines. I ran because I believe it was time to restore moral clarity and courage to Congress. To fight and defend our democracy. No one person, no matter how corrupt, inept, or vicious, can threaten my unwavering love for America. Oh, Really? I stand undeterred to continue fighting for equal opportunity in our pursuit of happiness for all Americans. Thank you for standing with me against an administration that ran on banning Muslims from this country to fight for the America we deserve. A, you're an immigrant. You don't know shit about this. B, you hate America. Everything you say is not America. You want a different America. Another one. Prayers and condolences won't keep our kids safe. Sensible gun laws will. It's time for you and Republicans to put the safety of Americans first and seek freedom from the NRA. They are the true enemy. Isn't that incitement? How about this? Joan Walsh profiled Senator Gillibrand on the campaign trail. We're going to punch Trump in the face. Is that It's the New York way. Let's talk about incitement before we go on to AOC. A. You have Antifa burning down fucking towns. You have people beating up people with red hats, destroying property, burning flags. You have a media that goes after and doxes and tries to hurt anybody who dare not say what you want. We've outline numerous instances of mega hat people being attacked in airports, on the street, in school. Who's inciting violence? And to make that your defense when this woman has numerous times that America's a fucking piece of shit, Jews are the real enemy. Wow. You fucking people are nutbags. You can't blame the victim when one of your own said the victims of 9-11 got killed by some people who did something. Fucking piece of shit. She is an Islamist. She wants the fall of America. She wants us to be under Sharia law. And if you don't know that, Got your head up your ass. As AOC said, first they came for, these people are coming for weapons, your religion, everything you have, and they want it gone, folks. There's no investigative reporting of Dearborn, Michigan, and all these crackheads that came from foreign lands in the number one recruiting area in the world for ISIS. What does that say, folks? Obamaco brought in a bunch of radical Syrian immigrants 
because he's down with that kind of shit. And this is what we're getting. The only people inciting are you. So we're going to AOC. Here she's saying she's going to impeach the president for something. And then she said, I'm, I, these right-wing attacks and try to play it off. You could reach in a bag and pull so many things out that are impeachable of this president. I support impeaching this president. Two and three? Two and three. Um, I think two would be uh, tax fraud. Mm-hmm. And number three, um, man. I mean, there's just there's just so much. <laughs> okay. Let me ask like you. The census. Uh, there's, right. uh, you know, I I can't even the the tax bill. It's like what can like there's just so much. It just just so many things. So victimhood was a big thing this week. Uh, Alexander Casia Cortez quits Facebook, calls social media a public health risk. Sunday with the On News podcast, Skullduggery, the New York Democrats said she stopped using Facebook account and was scaling back on her social media, which she describes as public health risk because it can lead to increased isolation, depression, anxiety, addiction, and escapism. She can't handle the heat, basically what she's saying. Praheep J. Shakar, without social media, where would she be? Yeah, no shit. So then... Within the ranks, there was some problems. AOC, what if a bold agenda rooted in improving everyday people's lives is part of a winning strategy? What if the choice between big ideas and winning election is false one that crept upon through outsized influence of politics? What if a nation parched for change were watered? And what if we ran a glass of that water with the D next to it? <laughs> Goes the story. Sorry, my allergies are terrible. Pelosi. In an AOC's district, glass of water could win with a D next to its name. <laughs> and then she went on fucking CBS and said this. So you are contending with a group in Congress. Over here on the left flank are these self-described socialists. On the right, these moderates. And you yourself said that you're the only one who can unify everybody. And the question is, can you? By and large, uh, whatever orientation they came to Congress with, they know that we have to hold the center, that we have to go down the mainstream. They know that? They do. But it doesn't look like that. It looks as if it's fractured. She likes to minimize the conflicts within her caucus between the moderates and the progressives. You have these wings, AOC and her group on one side. That's like five people. No, it's the progressive group. It's more than well, five. I'm a progressive, yeah. It's just five. Yeah, whatever. They are running you. They are fucking running you. Uh I'm not going to read the next one. She's got so much bullshit in here. It's just fucking unbelievable. Chris Hines. Something about something attack on the free press. She's basically, oh, I need to read this. I forgot. Um, 
Here's one fact. Omar is co-sponsor of the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund. She's done more for 9-11 families. The GOP won't ever support health care for first responders, yet are happy to weaponize her faith. Two years ago, bodega owners across New York City and cheered by neighbors shut their shops citywide to protest Muslim ban. Today, that same community is banding together to reject sales of the New York Post. Chris Hines, something, something, attack on the free press, something, something. Wow, a politician encouraging shutting down the press. She doesn't like. When Trump does that, he's called a dictator. What should we call AOC? And a million people tweeting this to Seltzer going, where you at, bro? Where are you at? But the big news for her is GND Part 2. This looks like a child produced it. Wait a minute. Just like the first one. the bullet train from New York to D.C. It always brings me back to when I first started making this commute. In 2019, I was a freshman in the most diverse Congress in history. Up to that point, it was a critical time. I'll never forget the children in our community. They were so inspired to see this new class of politicians who reflected them navigating the halls of power. It's often said, you can't be what you can't see. And for the first time, they saw themselves. I think there was something similar with the Green New Deal. We knew that we needed to save the planet and that we had all the technology to do it. But people were scared. They said it was too big, too fast, not practical. I think that's because they just couldn't picture it yet. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start with how we got here. 1977, New York. A senior scientist named James Black made a presentation about how burning fossil fuels could eventually lead to global temperatures rising four or five degrees Fahrenheit. Within two years, one of the world's biggest super tankers was outfitted with a state-of-the-art lab to measure CO2 in the ocean, gathering more data about global warming. Guess who was doing all of this research? Exxon Mobil, the oil and gas company. Oh yeah, Exxon knew this whole time, as did our politicians. Ten years later, James Hansen, NASA's top climate scientist, told Congress he was 99% certain that global warming was happening and caused by humans. That was 1988, the year before I was even born. So did Exxon listen to the science, including their own? Did they change business models, invest in renewables? No, the opposite. They knew and they doubled down. They and others spent millions setting up a network of lobby groups and think tanks to create doubt and denial about climate change. It was an effort designed to attack and dispute the very kind of science they themselves had been doing. And it worked. Politicians went to bat for fossil fuels and these massive corporations kept digging and mining, drilling and fracking like there was no tomorrow. America became the biggest producer and consumer of oil in the world. Fossil fuel companies made hundreds of billions while the public paid the lion's share to clean up their disasters. We lost a generation of time we'll never get back. Entire species will never get back. Natural wonders gone forever. And in 2017, Hurricane Maria destroyed the place where my family was from, Puerto Rico. It was like a climate bomb. It took as many American lives as 9-11. And in the next year, 
when I was elected to Congress, the world's leading climate scientists declared another emergency. They told us that we had 12 years left to cut our emissions in half, or hundreds of millions of people would be more likely to face food and water shortages, poverty, and death. 12 years to change everything. How we got around, how we fed ourselves, how we made our stuff, how we lived and worked, everything. The only way to do it was to transform our economy, which we already knew was broken since the vast majority of wealth was going to just a small handful of people and most folks were falling further and further behind. It was a true turning point. Lots of people gave up. They said we were doomed. But some of us remembered that as a nation, we'd been in peril before. The Great Depression, World War II. We knew from our history how to pull together to overcome impossible odds. And at the very least, we owed it to our children to try. The wave began when Democrats took back the House in 2018, and then the Senate and the White House in 2020, and launched the decade of the Green New Deal, a flurry of legislation that kicked off our social and ecological transformation to save the planet. It was the kind of swing for the fence ambition we needed. Finally, we were entertaining solutions on the scale of the crises we faced without leaving anyone behind. That included Medicare for All, the most popular social program in American history. We also introduced the Federal Jobs Guarantee, a public option including dignified living wages for work. Funnily enough, the biggest problem in those early years was a labor shortage. We were building a national smart grid, retrofitting every building in America, putting trains like this one all across the country. We needed more workers. That group of kids from my neighborhood were right in the middle of it all, especially this one girl, Ileana. Her first job out of college was with AmeriCorps Climate, restoring wetlands and bayous in coastal Louisiana. Most of her friends were in her union, including some oil workers in transition. They took apart old pipelines and got to work planting mangroves with the same salary and benefits. Of course, when it came to healing the land, we had huge gaps in our knowledge. Luckily, indigenous communities offered generational expertise to help guide the way. Ileana got restless, tried her hand as a solar plant engineer for a while, but eventually made her career in raising the next generation as part of the Universal Child Care Initiative. As it turns out, caring for others is valuable, low-carbon work, and we started paying real money to folks like teachers, domestic workers, and home health aides. Those were years of massive change. And not all of it was good. When Hurricane Sheldon hit southern Florida, parts of Miami went underwater for the last time. But as we battled the floods, fires, and droughts, we knew how lucky we were to have started acting when we did. And we didn't just change the infrastructure. We changed how we did things. We became a society that was not only modern and wealthy, but dignified and humane, too. By committing to universal rights like health care and meaningful work for all, we stopped being so scared of the future. We stopped being scared of each other. And we found our shared purpose. Ileana heard the call too. And in 2028, she ran for office in the first cycle of publicly funded election campaigns. And now she occupies the seat that I once held. I couldn't be more proud of her, a true child of the Green New Deal. 
When I think back to my first term in Congress, riding that old school Amtrak in 2019, all of this was still ahead of us. And the first big step was just closing our eyes and imagining it. We can be whatever we have the courage to see. When your own party and moon bats that for, form Greenpeace say your shit's crazy, why do you think it's going to work the second time, Wahoo? Which brings us to what I was talking about. Netflix documentary, Our Planet, attempts to make the case that man-caused climate change is killing endangered animals. Evidence of such a claim can supposedly be found in a scene showing a group of walruses plummeting to their death. The Atlantic. A shocking sequence from Our Planet shows walruses falling to the death from high cliffs and pins the blame on climate change. Ed Yong assesses the claim. In autumn 2017, about 250 walruses in Russia, having climbed up a rock slope overlooking a beach, just walked over the edge. Usually gravity is no enemy of the walrus. When these animals encounter hard surfaces, they rise up to meet them, hauling their two-ton bulks in a floating piece of ice. When they fall, they flop off those low platforms into the accommodating water. So you might imagine that a walrus peeling off a tall cliff doesn't really understand what will happen to it when it steps off. It doesn't expect to plummet 260 feet cartwheeling through the air, bouncing off the rocks and crashing abruptly. Climb, plummet, cartwheel, bounce. These are not walrus-associated verbs, nor is landing. The biologist J.B.S. Halden once wrote a famous essay in which he described what a large falls due to progressively larger animals. I don't care. Let's move on. Some of internal injuries get to the sea and wash up later, says Sophie Lang, who led the documentary crew that recorded the behavior on our planet, Netflix's big-budget answer to planet Earth. The team had heard hints about such falls, but were still unprepared for the shock of seeing them. It's the worst thing I've ever filmed, says Jamie McPherson. Our planet makes a point of saying that what other nature series have not. The wonders they're showing are endangered because of humans, and the footage is perhaps the most shocking part of all, a series of full discomforting moments. Contrary to popular belief, not even lemmings dive off cliffs. Why would a walrus? Polar bears weren't harassing them. The camera crews were filming from afar, so their scent and sounds wouldn't spook the skittish animals. Then why? What was the walrus even doing on a clifftop? Blah, 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 lie! The gruesome our planet walrus scene was directly caused by climate change, just like the photograph of the starving polar bear, according to activist group like WWF fundraising off the visuals. Is this just artistic license or fraud and hoax? It's alleged that the our planet crew's drones and presence caused the walrus stampede off the clip as they are easily spooked. And another tweet, polar bears were there, Thus, the animals were running from them. But they lied. Like everything else with climate change. They can't sell their bullshit, so they lie. From AIDS to now, this is what the left does. They're factless. It's all over the internet. This is a bullshit scene. They spooked them, but they used it to scare people, to try to get this 12 years we're all going to die bullshit. Bullshit. 
man, are you fucking shitting me? I mean, do it right. So with AOC, we have this Fox bullshit, co-founder of Vox, Ezra Klein, a fucking twat. The focus Fox, the Fox focus on AOC, not Bernie, really makes clear what their game and the Trump era conservatism is really about. And once again, Gerald Byer, our guy on the scene, my count of Vox articles since 1-1-2019 with Ocasio-Cortez in headline, 24. My count of Vox articles since 1-1-2019 with Bernie Sanders, 23. Hmm. And then Ann, incredible that you say this out loud. You do realize we see all the fapping y'all are doing over there, right? We see you, Ezra. We clicked and got around 2,440 results on Vox for AOC. It's ridiculous that it's unconstitutional for AOC to run for president. AOC is floating a 70% tax rate. Here's the research that backs her up. AOC got Cohen to name names and helped build a case for getting Trump tax returns. And then Mike, real last name unknown. The Fox focus on AOC, not Bernie, he tweeted, about an hour before a Fox News town hall with guess who? Bernie Sanders. I'm not covering it because it's just, I mean, it's, you expect it. He got a couple hard questions, but it wasn't much different than CNN. Babylon B, AOC appears on the price, price is right, guess everything, guesses everything is fucked, fucked it all up. AOC appears on the price is right and guesses everything is free. <laughs> she rebutted that and thought it was fucking, oh Jesus Christ, that's too funny. So, moving on to immigration, here's a quick sound by a couple bullets and we'll go to a music break. We're an immigration plan that government officials scuttled because it was, quote, so illegal. Whether to release migrant detainees was rejected because it was, quote, so illegal. We are indeed, as reported, giving strong consideration to placing illegal immigrants in sanctuary cities. This is just one of two controversial immigration proposals. How far is the Trump administration willing to go to curb immigration? an official who told you they knew how illegal this was and so they had to walk away. So illegal. illegal. It really is extraordinary um, to think about the lengths that this administration wants to go to. They know this is illegal. Um, They've known it's illegal all along. Do they really think that if they dropped a bunch of people in the middle of San Francisco that Nancy Pelosi was going to get the blame? How many times have they done something that's been deemed illegal by the courts? And they, even though they know this is illegal, they're still floating it out there. Separation policy, uh, illegal. You know, uh, making people remain in Mexico, illegal. Here's the latest in a long line of controversial, extreme immigration policies that they know are illegal. You're pushing the borders a little bit, at least with the people who are upset about immigration. They have been told that this is, uh, at the very least, unwise and perhaps illegal. San Francisco is one of the cities where they said they were going to uh, let some of these folks uh be unleashed so we thought we had heard from a dhs official this is so illegal we can't do it and then the president comes out and tweets that that they've made a decision about immigration and the second part of this immigration story that the administration is considering trying to expand the role of the military that's right chris i mean if we talk about illegal it would be legal to use troops to do construction to deal with the influx of immigrants that you're seeing 
crossing the border. Another idea, though, that has been floated was just to use the troops to actually run the facilities, which would be illegal. It is illegal to use the military to enforce domestic law. They would want to use them perhaps to be registering immigrants. The president and his advisors were told, you can't do this. It's illegal. This would be stopped. Mm -hmm. I remember when we first reported that family separation was on the table in 2017, we were told this is so extreme they would never do it. And they did go through with that. So it's important to keep up with each of these ideas, no matter how extreme or illegal they may seem, because one of these might stick. This incredulousness by the vice president saying, look, the president's made it clear we're not going to do any more family separations. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it, by law, they can't. But as we talked about before, um, the law never has gotten in the way of a presidential idea from Donald Trump that he hasn't liked uh, getting out there. They can only hold families in detention for 20 days um, under the Flores Settlement Agreement and TVPRA. Uh, they can't just turn around young, undocumented, unaccompanied migrants and send them back to their home country. Their ultimate goal, which is to indefinitely detain and definitely jail uh, migrant families for the pendency of their immigration proceedings. He talked about using the military and immigration. There's a record number of family units apprehended at the border in March. Uh, 92,000 apprehensions overall, 58% family units, 33% single adults. But those family units who are coming across the border, those are people who have added protections under international asylum law. They are entitled to come here and make a claim at asylum. One of the things we also saw this week that they're exploring is to try to keep people from even coming here and having their day in court by putting the hands of those immigration or the asylum interviews in the hands of border patrol rather than asylum officers because trump thinks that they would be tougher good evening i'm jeff glore and we're going to begin tonight with a highly controversial immigration proposal the president has embraced he says the country may place large numbers of migrants in sanctuary cities, often large democratically controlled cities that protect illegal and undocumented immigrants. This began with a report in the Washington Post that some administration officials tried to knock down. The president picked it up and ran with it. White House correspondent Paula Reed has more. So uh, we are uh, looking at the possibility. President Trump says he's considering whether to release illegal immigrants in detention onto the streets of so-called sanctuary cities. California certainly is always saying, oh, we want more people and they want more people in their sanctuary cities. Well, we'll give them more people. We can give them a lot. We can give them an unlimited supply. California is home to several sanctuary cities which refuse to cooperate with federal immigration officials. Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom fired back at the president's plan today. It's illegal. It's immoral. It's unethical. Um, it's sophomoric. Uh, it's petulant. And it's uh, par for the course. Transporting migrants from the border to other cities raises practical, legal and budgetary questions. And the White House initially denied the proposal was under serious consideration. But just hours later, the president said on Twitter, it was. Sanctuary cities that get Americans killed, they're immoral. As the president renews his focus on immigration ahead of 2020, sanctuary cities are a red meat issue for the president's base. When you have sanctuary cities, you have crime. The policy would also drop migrants into traditionally democratic cities like Oakland. Mayor Libby Schaaf says it would be an abuse of power. The idea that this administration could use human beings, families, children to exact political vengeance on enemies 
is outrageous. And she defended Oakland's policy not to cooperate with immigration officials. We believe that we are here to protect and serve all residents of our city. The Department of Homeland Security is denying reports the president promised to pardon his acting secretary if he was sent to jail for blocking asylum seekers from entering the U.S. DHS says the president never encouraged the acting secretary to do anything illegal. Jeff. Paula Reed, thank you very much. So some quick hits. Chicago Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot says she'll welcome shipments of illegals. You know what? Good for her. I think that's pretty good. Mayor of Seattle, instead of threatening immigrant families in the cities that welcome them, this president should spend more time learning from cities like Seattle. Jason Matera, learning how to step over needles, junkies, and you couldn't totally teach the president how to type or leadership. Uh, What should he learn from Seattle? Considering you have the third highest homeless population in the country and the top ten in unemployment, I would suggest you learn something from the president. I hope Mr. Trump follows through and drops all the illegals on you. Then Jake Tapper had Nadler on. We're going to play that on our way out. Um, It's pretty fucking bad, to be quite honest. Even Tapper makes a fucking face. You're like, holy fucking shit. Um, Let me see. James Wood. Trump is the toughest president we've had since Harry Truman. He takes a fight right to the enemy. If he dumps the invaders in the Democrats' backyard, they're going to be doing some serious thinking about whether hijacking America with illegal votes is worth it. Great move. Pelosi, whose personal abode is a walled fortress, doesn't want the invading swarm in her district, of course. Firstly, she's an elitist and sick of poop and needles on her streets. More importantly, the whole plan of importing illegal votes is wasted in deep blue San Francisco. See, this is what I said last podcast. This is what I said. Um, If Trump does this, it will be the funniest thing ever. He should literally drop them by the busload in front of the governor's mansion. Trump should actually do this. He's He's that politically savvy. The Democrats want street theater? What a visual. Every single week, busload after busload have dropped in front of the governor's and mayor's mansion in California, New York. The sheer volume would be such a stunning visual with such delicious irony. It would be literally mind-blowing. Do it, Mr. President. Put 10,000 of these guys in front of Nancy Pelosi's walled mansion, and he linked to fiend charged with raping, killing jogger had been deported twice. We all know that if illegal aliens voted Republican, Schumer and Pelosi would be out there laying bricks on the border themselves. Dropping the hordes into sanctuary states is a brilliant strategic move. Doing so completely neutralizes the entire Democratic plan behind the invasion, illegal votes. Thanks to our beloved Electoral College, a million more illegals will have zero effect in California and New York. And to show it's just not a xenophobes, Donald J. Trump. I finally agree with Cher. Cher, I understand helping struggling immigrants, but my city of Los Angeles isn't taking care of its own. What about the 50,000 citizens who live on the street, people who live below poverty line and hungry? If my state can't take care of its own, many are vets, how can it take care of more? And she's dead on. To Nadler with Tapper getting pinned down on this crazy shit, a music break, and we come back to our ending, which is our violent left. As always, I never run out of these stories, and it's very inciting. 
Uh, President Trump uh, has been pushing the Department of Homeland Security to transport undocumented immigrants to sanctuary cities and release them there. Uh, here's what the president asserted last night in a tweet, quote, just out, the USA has the absolute legal right to have apprehended illegal immigrants transferred to sanctuary cities. Now, you're from New York City. That is a sanctuary city. Do you agree that the president has the, quote, absolute legal right to do this if he wants to? No, I don't. Uh, the president uh, has no right to spend money uh, appropriated for, by Congress for other purposes to ship uh, immigrants all over the country. Uh, if, if someone requests asylum, he, sh he should be considered that there should be a place for that person uh, to stay while that uh, asylum request is being adjudicated. This is nor is it right for the president uh, to use uh, immigrants or, or people who are claiming political asylum as pawns in, in, in a fight against political opponents. Um, uh, it, 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 he shouldn't use them as, as what he imagines as retribution to political opponents uh, in various uh, areas. It's another uh, uh, misuse of presidential uh, power uh, against the law. Now, we heard several weeks ago from whistleblowers that, this, that, uh, that Steve Miller came up with this uh, before we heard about it from any other source. And probably Steve Miller, who seems to be the boss of everybody on immigration, ought to come before Congress and explain some of these policies.
The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. Thank you, Mr. Chair. In congressional hearings, the minority party gets to select its own witnesses. And of all the people that Republicans could have selected, they picked Candace Owens. I don't know Miss Owens. I'm not going to characterize her. I'm going to let her own words do the talking. So I'm going to play for you the first 30 seconds of a statement she made about Adolf Hitler. I agree. I, I actually don't have any problems at all with the word nationalism. I think that it gets, uh, the definition gets poisoned um, by elitists that actually want globalism. Globalism is what I, what I don't want. So when you think about whenever we say nationalism, the first thing people think about, in, at least in America, is Hitler. You know, he was a national socialist, but if Hitler just wanted to make Germany great and have things run well, okay, fine. Problem is, is that he wanted, he had dreams outside of Germany. He wanted to globalize. He wanted everybody to be German, everybody to be speaking German. All right, so my uh, first question is to Ms. Hershenoff. Ms. Owens said, quote, if Hitler just wanted to make Germany great and have things run well, okay, fine. The problem is that he wanted, he had dreams outside of Germany. So when people try to legitimize Adolf Hitler, does that feed into white nationalist ideology? It, it does, Mr. Liu. I know that uh, Ms. Owens distanced herself from those comments later, but we expressed great concern over the original comments. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Owen, uh, Ms. Owens, I'm sorry. We just started a recording. Um, would you like time to respond to that? Yes, um, I think it's pretty apparent that uh, Mr. Liu believes that black people are stupid and will not f uh, pursue the full clip in its entirety. He purposely presented an extract, an extracted witness, clip. Witness will suspend for a moment. It is not proper to refer disparagingly or with, to a member of the committee. Uh, the witness will not do that again. Witness may continue. Sure, even though I was called despicable. Um, witness may not refer to a member of the committee as stupid. I didn't refer to him as stupid. That's not what I said. That's not what I said at all. You, you didn't listen to what I said. May I continue? Please. As I said, he is assuming that black people will not go pursue the full two-hour clip. And he purposefully extracted, he cut off, and you didn't hear the question that was asked of me. He's trying to present as if I was launching a defense of Hitler in Germany, when in fact, the question that was asked of me was pertaining to whether or not I believed that Hitler was a, whether or not I believed in nationalism, and that nationalism was bad. And what I responded to was that I do not believe that we should be characterizing Hitler as a nationalist. He was a homicidal, psychopathic maniac that killed his own people. A nationalist would not kill their own people. 
That is exactly what I was referring to in the clip, and he purposely wanted to give you a cut-up similar to what they do to Donald Trump to create a different narrative. That was unbelievably dishonest, and he did not allow me to respond to it, which is worrisome and should tell you a lot about where people are today in terms of trying to drum up narratives. By the way, I would like to also add that I work for Prager University, which is run by an Orthodox Jew. When a single Democrat showed up to the embassy opening in Jerusalem, I sat on a plane for 18 hours to make sure that I was there. I'm deeply offended by the insinuation of, of revealing that clip without the question that was asked of me. Thanks, Mrs. Owens, and I yield the remainder of my time. Gentleman yields back. I just wanted to play that. I have Owens rebutting this shit. But understand, they played an X. They, they cut down, incited violence. They did exactly what they said Trump did. Misrepresent her statement from a speech. And then when she tried to do it, they didn't, they didn't let her speak at all. And then you have Caitlin Bennett getting kicked out of the hearing and harassed. It's fine. Again, I watched It's an invited event. No, it's public. On his website, it's public. Okay, well, we're not allowed to be in okay? I'm just not allowed to Is there a reason? I'm just not allowed to leave. Well, why? I have to have a reason to leave. We have a permit for this. I'm going to ask you one more time. I can't so I'm being ejected from a public event? Yes, ma'am. On the ground. Yes, ma'am. Because Did I ma'am, violate your Ma'am, this is an event that right. we came for. Right. This is an event that we have brought the space. I'm going to ask you one more time. If you are not, I'm going to have to turn it over to you. Okay. Uh, can you just out me? That's fine. But is it that I violate any rules or anything? Ma'am, I ask you one more time. If you do not leave now, I'm going to turn over to Washington. These cops that Let's go. Look at Let's him. Go. Okay, so Let's you go. don't... Except the same thing opinion that you're saying. This is so ridiculous. Look who is like great. It's funny that you're talking about private property. What if I have a literature about supporting this? Support private property. What did I do? This is so funny. Are you a police officer or private security? No, private, private security. Private security. No problem. Can I, I need to know what, what rules I violated. It is a private event, therefore it's considered private property. Therefore, it is considered private property and a private event. His website His said website it was a public event. A public event. It's open to the this public. is what I've been told by the campaign staff. I am following their orders. So you work for the campaign staff? We are contracted through them. I'm just doing what they've asked me to do. I have no control over this. They asked me that they would like you to leave for the day. For what For what reason? We are, facil- we are facilitating that because we are contracted by them. I'm going to have to ask you to please keep walking. We're just going to keep this as nice as possible, okay? This is, I didn't, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, please, let's make this. I'm going to have to ask you to please keep walking. We're just going to keep this as nice as possible, okay? I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, please, let's make this easy. This is ridiculous. What rules did I break? Out the door, please. Out the door, please. Thank you. I appreciate your cooperation. Thank you. It's amazing that this is private property. Out the door, please. Thank you. 
Have a wonderful day. Thank you for coming. I do apologize. How this is out. this is public Second. property. This is a violation of the First Amendment here, getting kicked out for our political opinions. I know. So they, do these cops know? They're not cops. These, they're they're private security. They're I asked cops. him if he's a cop. He said he's private security. Yeah, they're, they're police. They're contracted through the event. So what that means is because they're assisting with this event, they have to follow the rules and regulations that the staff provides. They are still police officers, marked police officers with badges. But they're working with the event, so they have to follow the rules that people set for. More than likely, he did not want to do that, but he has to because he's contracting through the This event. is ridiculous. So what we just saw was that Bernie Sanders' campaign discriminated against a certain journalist. Those people recognize me. I am a journalist for Infowars.com. We are a news outlet. I am a woman journalist, and I got ejected from a Bernie Sanders town hall event. I'm not allowed to report on it. I'm not even allowed to listen to Bernie. It's amazing these people want to change my mind or get me to go over to Bernie's side. They don't want me to be a Trump supporter anymore, but I can't even listen to what Bernie has to say. This is ridiculous. It's also funny that they say that this is private property. Yeah. It, no, you know what? It's a high school. It's a, it's a public high school. This is not a public... You know, this is public property. This is not a private event. On his website, and we'll pull up and we'll put a little screenshot in the video of his actual website, Bernie Sanders' website, it says that this is open to the public. This is a public event. It's not private property. It's not a private event. Yet there's a socialist inside who supports nothing along the lines of private property. But he's going to use it to his advantage to get people that he doesn't like from asking him hard questions. Yeah. So on top of all this censoring and everything, here is literally, literally, a guy running for president named Solwell saying they will arrest people if they do not turn in their guns. So gun control is the central plank in your campaign. You wrote last year, quote, we should ban possession of military-style semi-automatic assault weapons. We should buy back such weapons from all who choose to abide by the law. And we should criminally prosecute any who choose to defy it by keeping their weapons. Criminal prosecution for keeping assault weapons. What's the punishment for people who don't hand in their guns? Do they go to jail? Well, Jake, uh, they would. But I also offer an alternative, which would be to keep them at a hunting club or a shooting range. And the reason I have proposed this is because... Uh, these weapons are, are so devastating. I've seen this as a prosecutor uh, in the cases that I've prosecuted. We've seen these in the school shootings from Sandy Hook to Parkland, and I was just at Parkland earlier this week doing a town hall there. But it's not just the violence that they've caused. It's the fear, the immeasurable fear that our children live in because they are still on our streets. I want to get rid of that fear. I want to do what Australia did and New Zealand just recently did. I think this issue just needs some bold leadership to do it. I know you know this, but the vast majority of gun-related deaths in this country are not related to these semi-automatic assault weapons, whatever you want to call them. Um, and the vast majority of gun owners are law-abiding citizens who have purchased these weapons legally and use them safely. One of the most frequent attacks on this issue from President Trump and the Republicans is that Democrats want to take away your guns. But isn't it fair to say you actually do want to take away people's guns? You know, keep your pistols, keep your long rifles, keep your shotguns. I want the most dangerous weapons, these weapons of war, out of the hands of the most dangerous people. But when it comes to what else we can do, because I don't even suggest this is all we can do, I also want background check. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Just arresting American citizens who lawfully purchased weapons. Yeah. 
Last podcast, we talked about the good fight. Now we see in the show, they had a picture that they were looking for codes. And in that codes is assassinate Trump, eliminate Mar-a-Lago. That was on a TV show during primetime on CBS. It was okay to edit, okay to play. Could that be incitement? Or is it me? I don't know. Maybe it's me. Hacker Group posts hundreds of law enforcement records. It's a huge breach. While that's happening, Laguna Beach might tone down American flag graphics on the police car because illegals are fucking offended by it. Yeah. Then we have Minnesota. You've all heard it by now. African-American, 24-year-old Muslim man walked in, grabbed a five-year-old kid, tossed him off the ledge, and Twitter has been censoring anybody that will report he was a Muslim immigrant. So I can't even confirm it, and no news source will look into it. He killed a white kid, threw him off a third-floor balcony, and somehow that's not big-time news. Reverse the race, and it is. But the ugly that was this week was Notre Dame. And we're going to break it down. And now, you and I are not here to talk about politics. A lot of people were making this suggestion, which is, where are the choppers? I brought it up on live television today because we think about that. And I, you know, well, there are air restrictions around Paris, not in an emergency situation. The the French authorities said, just to address one thing and get it out of the way, Uh, we have the capabilities. We fight right. forest fires yeah, all yeah. the time. Right. We're not doing this because we're worried yeah. about putting that much water yeah. inside this structure right now. We're afraid right. it may make it worse structurally for the walls. Does that square with you? Yeah, because you know if it's a fixed-wing aircraft, there's no, there's no plane uh, pilot that could drop it exactly in that one spot, moving several hundred miles an hour over it. If you're talking about helicopters... One of the issues you got too here is that that thermal updraft, that's a chimney effectively. You can't fly a helicopter in hot air, basically. That's another problem they have to deal with. Why? Because the air is so thin. And the rotors need to cut through air to stay up, and it can't stay up. Right, exactly. So that's another issue here, too. And I I think they realize that they could probably do more damage than not with this. Right. And again, it's not about the president. Not today. He actually said the right thing. He recognized this as a tragedy. He said the work was going to slow down within the White House, what they were talking about, because all eyes were on this. But a lot of people were talking about that, and it was not a factor today. Right, right. If anything, it might have made it. Well, I was, um, I was uh, close to the scene when it happened. And no, I left the place because I, we want to let people work around it. Everybody's really under shock now in France. I would tell you something. It's um, Even if... Nobody, no, no, nobody died. I mean, it's like a 9/11. It's a French 9/11, you know, and it's um, it's a big shock. I mean, this uh, church was there for more than 850 years. Uh, even even the Nazi didn't dare to destroy it. Um, and you need to know that for the past years, we had churches desecrated each and every week in France, all over France. So, of course, you will hear the story about the. The politically correct, the political correctness, which will tell you that it's probably an accident. Sir, but sir, sir, I, we're not going to speculate here of the cause of something well, which we don't know. If you have no, observation, if you have observations, no. or you know something, we would love to hear it. 
No, I'm just telling you something. What you need to be ready. No, sir. To. We're not doing that here. Not now. Okay. Not on my watch. Okay. Felipe Carcente, okay. it's very good of you to be here. This once again became a way to bash the right for pointing out what the left was doing. Shepard Smith tried to crush it. But here's just a few. I mean, I didn't even search for these. They just pulled up my feed. Muslim student tries to burn down Canadian campus. Thugs set fire to churches and smear poo on walls amid warning France Christian heritage is under attack from militant secularism. South Carolina church vandalized with submit to God through Islam on Palm Sunday. And then we have Allah S. Gran. Muslims gloat on social media as Blaze destroys Notre Dame Cathedral. Wahid Hadi, Obajask, Yusuf Muhammad Dazai, Hassam Asa, Muhammad Hadi, Muhammad Ben Sam, Alala Ataf, Ray Khalad, Amr Sofiana, Adamakan Nuau, Muhammad Amin, and a favorite from Miss Oh, I am an American and I care about things and blah 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 Talib Abbas Hamadid somebody she follows and retweets all the time he put the cathedral is burning with a smiley face yeah he was there at her swearing in here's Watson Paul Joseph Watson breaking it down including the censorship So BuzzFeed just got caught sharing hoax misinformation about the Notre Dame fire and then blamed me for sharing hoax misinformation about the Notre Dame fire while the blaze was still raging. I posted this tweet in which I stated a brief summary of who is responding to the tragic Notre Dame fire with smiley faces on Facebook. The video attached to this tweet was a live Facebook feed of the Notre Dame fire. In this video you can see a list of who was reacting in real time to the fire with smiley emoticons. Take a good, long look. The video clearly shows the Notre Dame Cathedral burning in the background. And here's the original Facebook video from where my tweet was grabbed. It's a page called Brute. It has over 7 million views. And there you see, Brute was live at Notre Dame Paris. You can check all this for yourself. Again, you see the Notre Dame burning in the video. It's the same video that I tweeted. And this screenshot from the original Live at Notre Dame video shows people reacting with smiley faces as Notre Dame burns. Now, how do you think BuzzFeed reported on this? In a giant article about hoaxes and misinformation surrounding the Notre Dame fire, BuzzFeed's Jane Litvinenko wrote the following. There's zero evidence Muslims were responding to the fire with smiley faces. Paul Joseph Watson tweeted a link to a video that claimed to show Muslim people celebrating the fire. Critically, the video in question does not show what people on Facebook were reacting to. It's also impossible to know the religious views of each person reacting to a video en masse, so we really have no idea what was going on here. And there is no proof to back up this claim. Really? Well, first, I never said it showed, quote, Muslim people celebrating the fire, that's lie number one, it wasn't even in my tweet. And secondly, yes, the video does show what people were reacting to. They're reacting to the Notre Dame fire. It's right there in the background at the start of the frigging clip. And here's the original, where they're quite clearly reacting to the Notre Dame fire with smiley faces. The video was authentic. 
And it's in the video. So BuzzFeed published fake news claiming I was engaged in a hoax when they were the ones engaged in the hoax. Oh yeah, and Jane, putting a stupid nope yellow sticker on my tweet doesn't invalidate its accuracy. Even this tweet is wrong. She claims this screenshot also doesn't show the video itself. Yes, it does. Here's the video. You lied. You were called out for it. I asked you for a retraction on numerous occasions, and you did nothing. You're deliberately putting out fake news. This is why you suck. This is why no one trusts you. This is why BuzzFeed is going bust and laying off staff left, right, and center. As to the wider question of were Muslims celebrating the fire, which I never even said in the tweet, but they say I said it, so I guess let's just go with it. Let's take a closer look. This is called research, BuzzFeed. You should try it sometime. Here's a selection of comments I grabbed from just two threads about the Notre Dame fire from France 24 Arabic's Facebook page. These comments are all translated from Arabic. What were these people saying about the fire? I am disappointed for the lack of charred bodies in this festive party. What a wonderful moment, God thank you. I dedicate this wonderful and beautiful fire to my family. Congratulations, hopefully the mass destruction of France. It's a beautiful fire, OMG, the most beautiful fire in the world. We announce the sympathy of our full solidarity with the fire. Unfortunately, the entire structure did not collapse. I am sympathetic to the fire. I dedicate this fire to all the Algerian people. And we wish another fire. God willing, the next on the Eiffel Tower. I am very happy, smiley face, smiley face, to see part of France burning. People were even posting gifts which said, yay, I'm so happy, and celebrate. Again, these comments were grabbed from just two small sections of two threads. From what I saw, nearly every other comment was celebrating the fire. Let's look at how Al Jazeera viewers were reacting to the fire. Here's how they reacted to stories about the fire on Al Jazeera's Facebook page. Again, note the names and note the smiley faces. Remember, BuzzFeed claimed, quote, there's no evidence Muslims were responding to the fire with smiley faces. Really? Let's let it run a little further so you can get a good sample of that reaction. Remember, BuzzFeed, quote, there's zero evidence Muslims were responding to the fire with smiley faces. Guess I must just be imagining all these smiley faces then. Here's a screenshot from the original Facebook video, the one which BuzzFeed lied about and said was a hoax, with someone commenting, Allah is grand. Is that a hoax too? Am I making that up? BuzzFeed, Jane Litvinenko? Or were you the ones who put out a hoax? Unlike BuzzFeed, which apparently doesn't know how to do basic research, you could go and check all this out for yourself. The comments are all still on France 24 Arabic's Facebook page and Al Jazeera's Facebook page. Were Muslims celebrating the Notre Dame fire? Yes, it's a fact, and there's evidence in abundance. And that's a big problem, that's a reality we need to face up to and have a conversation about. It's not a conversation that you can just cover up and sweep under the rug by claiming it never happened. It happened. In their morning tech newsletter, Politico also claimed... Paul Joseph Watson shared a hoax claiming Muslims were reacting positively to the fire. No, you're the one sharing the hoax, Politico, because it did happen. BuzzFeed's Ryan Broderick thinks people should be removed from Twitter for spreading, quote, misinformation. Better remove BuzzFeed then, because they're openly spreading misinformation about the reaction to the Notre Dame fire. See how this works? They lobby social media companies to deplatform me for spreading conspiracy theories 
when they're the ones spreading conspiracy theories. Does that mean that every Muslim was celebrating the Notre Dame fire? No. Does it mean that BuzzFeed and Politico lied in reporting that the claim Muslims were celebrating the Notre Dame fire was a hoax? Yes. Instead of denouncing the vile rhetoric of those celebrating the destruction of a cherished piece of history, BuzzFeed denounced me and ran defense for the very people spewing that vile rhetoric. Do these individuals seem to be horrified by the fire? How about these individuals? So don't get me wrong, it wasn't just Muslims who were celebrating the fire. Many leftists could barely contain their glee either. Notre Dame burning is cosmic karma for all the historical sites and artifacts France destroyed and stole when being colonialist scum. Genuinely awful, but if you mourn for this one building and not say the entirety of Syria, your white supremacy is showing. Notre Dame on fire is the most aesthetically pleasing visually I've ever seen. Notre Dame burns. For former French colonies, alongside a video of a guy laughing his head off with nearly 22 million views. Oh, but no one celebrated it, according to BuzzFeed. It's just one giant conspiracy theory. This one's for colonizing African countries, bitch. Yeah. Notre Dame was completed in 1345. That's 70 years before the first wave of European colonization. Do some fucking maths, moron. So yes, people celebrated, Muslims celebrated, leftists celebrated. And what does that tell us about the state of Western civilization? They laugh, they party, they say it's karma. Then our own media runs defense for them and says all of that never happened and it's all a hoax. Now I know the Notre Dame fire was accidental, but in France, churches are being burned and desecrated on a regular basis. Public statues of Jesus and the Virgin Mary are being decapitated and destroyed, and the media barely reports on it. In France, there are 10 times the number of anti-Christian attacks compared to anti-Muslim attacks. 875 Christian churches in France were vandalized last year alone. Jews are fleeing France in record numbers. And it's time more people started talking about it. When Islamic sites are burned, attacked, or desecrated, we respect their grief and mourning, and rightly so. When Christian sites are burned, attacked, or desecrated, apparently, to a lot of people, it's just one big joke. And if you try to denounce those people for their hatred, the media will run defense for them and tear you down. They'll run a giant hoax claiming no one celebrated, and then accuse you of running a hoax for telling the truth. BuzzFeed is fake news. They lied about me, they lied to their audience and they ran defense for vile people who in real time were celebrating the Notre Dame fire. That's it. Done. Consider yourself well and truly rebutted and debunked. Please click the big red button to subscribe. It really helps me when you do that. And click the bell to allow notifications so you never miss a new video. Yeah, you know, we got a Muslim problem in the world, folks, because I could play a hijab one for the United States, woman wearing a hijab getting yelled at by some dude in a parking garage. Messiah Ajin, this pro-regime man insulted me because my hair was coming out of my compulsory hijab. Yeah. Ben Shapiro, we wish to uphold the beauty and profundity of the Notre Dame Cathedral. That means refamiliarizing ourselves with the philosophy and religious principles that built it. These are his tweets. I'm reading them because there's a point coming, and it's the usual thing. Absolutely heartbreaking. A magnificent monument to Western civilization is collapsing. Molly Jung Fast. Never too early to politicize. 
art and architecture have a unique ability to help us connect across our differences and bring people together in important ways. Thinking of the people of Paris and praying for every first responder trying to save this wonder. That was Ilian Omar. Art and architecture. So these are the stories. This is from the Washington Post. How far the right spread politically convenient lies about Notre Dame fire. The news out of Paris was not actually about a conflict between West and Islam. But why let facts stop you? Talia Levine. The Washington Post let this lay. Let me remind you, when did the memory of 9-11 become sacred in any way and to whom? And, and that really stuck in disgrace. New York fact. I just read all this. The real victims captain shithead. Oh, I see the right-wing pearl clutchers. He's a racist. This are, I won't read this article on my show. She twists everything in the blaze and the whole nine yards into a hit piece on the right. I wrote for the Washington Post about how the right, right, the far right spread sinister Islamophobic explanations for the Notre Dame fire, playing to a broader narrative of civilization's conflict, the Reagan Battalion. This art article is packed with with full lies, half-truths, assumptions, conspiracies, and was written with malicious intent. Ben Shapiro, it is. And that is why it's a central monument to Western civilization, which was built on Judeo-Christian heritage. But sure, it's a monument to God, but go off, Ben. Somebody attacks him. And then this portion he excerpts. Shortly thereafter, fast-talking far-right pundit Ben Shapiro called Notre Dame a monument to Western civilization and Judeo-Christian heritage, giving the already raging rumors about potential Muslim involvement. These tweets evoke the spectator, <clears throat> excuse me, the specter of war between Islam and the West, and is already part of a numerous far-right narrative. Shapiro, this from Chicken Kiev in the Washington Post is sheer form of disgusting bullshit. You didn't spell it. I blame no one for the Notre Dame fire since it was an accident by all, all available evidence and imputing a malicious intent to me is simply gross. I wasn't tactfully saying Western civilization is superior to other civilizations. I was openly saying it because I believe Western civilization is superior to other civilizations. In fact, I wrote an entire book on the topic. <clears throat> hey, Washington Post, any interesting in fixing this non- any interest in fixing this nonsense? I noted that Notre Dame is a monument to Western civilization because of it. That has nothing to do with blaming Muslims and to suggest it does is simply a lie. Perhaps my favorite of this piece is the ending wherein Levine calls for me to be silenced. So a lie was the precursor to call for censorship. Of course, it's been their theme all week. Inciting violence while they incite violence. Dave Rubin. Insane attack on Shapiro as the author exposes herself to be far more extreme than she imagined him to be. By made to stop, what acts exactly do you mean? Emily Zanotti, what in the actual hell? Everything, everything Ben wrote on Notre Dame to this TLM Catholic was comforting and respectful, even uplifting. And he apologized for poorly timed joke to boot. This is a disgrace of an article. Ian Milheiser, the fact that a human achievement that took a century to build could be burned away in a few hours is such a horrible metaphor for democracy. That's how the left was taking it. Isn't that insightful? You bash on Christians all week, Catholics, everything. The only one you defend is Islam. Folks, I just played a fucking soundbite. They were jerking off to it. So as we're talking about incitement and silencing, Stephen Miller sums it up well. People are going to die. 
there is a thread he put. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Replies to him, fuck the president, fuck you. You're a special type of garbage. Are you fucking dumb? You're dumb. You're an idiot. He could have had cupcakes. He could have had five Abram tanks, you dumb fuck. I don't think it was possible, but you are the dumbest person ever. Eat shit, butthead. Is that inciting? Is that proper? I mean, we're going to talk about incitement as a precursor to silence people. The only people talking about violence right now is the left. They even got butt hurt as we segue out of violence into last-minute hits that we got at the last second. That's why they're called last-minute hits. Time 100. Pioneers. Sandra O. Oh, I mean, it's Chrissy Teigen. I'm just going to surmise all these losers they picked. I don't even know half their names. Artists. The Rock. Emily Clark. BTS. Andrea Andriana Grande. Leaders, Pelosi, Trump, they got pissed. Uh, Greta Thunberg, never heard of her. Um, McConnell, Kavanaugh, the world lost it. You'll find out in a second. Barr, AOC, Omar, Icons, Michelle Obama, Swift, Spike Lee, Christine Blasey Ford, the world lost it. You'll see in a second. Lady Gaga, uh, LeBron James, artist, Mark Zuckerberg, Tiger Woods. So Jessica Chastain, you put her name on a list as a man, she's assaulted so disappointing time. People were fucking cursing. A lot of people replied to her, some guy tweeted something was my favorite handle. Where did it happen? When did it happen? Because none of it's true. It's all fake. I watched fucking... Housewives in New York last night with my wife, they were arguing over Kavanaugh. One lady was like, I don't think we should falsely accuse people. Didn't happen. So, we'll close, since we've done a good hit on incitement, on this. Angelo Caruso. It's quite amazing that it, it is a group of Democratic presidential contenders that will be responsible for throwing Fox News a life raft and helping Fox savage what was shaping up to be a colossal upfront ad sale, period. Imagine internalizing losing so much that you can't even imagine possibility of change. That's the current state of affairs when it comes to many Dems and this gentleman from Media Matters, Oliver Willis. Democrats shouldn't go on Fox News. They shouldn't talk to Fox News. They shouldn't be interviewed by Fox News. Fox News is not news. It's not a real network. It's a right-wing, bigoted, misogynistic, racist, anti-democratic propaganda. Democrats going on Fox is like pigs going on the Bacon Network to make sure Bacon Network viewers hear the other side when all their viewers want to eat is more bacon. Democrats are stupid. Simultaneously, Twitter begins purging offensive tweets, is testing a mute button. These tweets are not even reported. They're just deleting them if somebody up there who's a progressive thinks it's offensive. Which brings up my biggest point. None of this is about violence. We all know the left is the violent people right now. They've shot people, beat people, burned shit, lost their mind for damn near three years. 
It's about silencing the opposition. Their whole playbook has always been, I call you a racist, you'll shut up. I call you a sexist, you'll shut up. Taking words and saying they're off limits now. Playing the pronoun game. It's what they do. And it's not working. Because America's not buying their bullshit. So now it is always been, get rid of Fox News, but now it's, we're going to silence you. We're going to make sure you cannot speak. We're going to take you out of everything we can possibly do. We're going to erase you. You do not belong in the civil discourse. You are subhuman pieces of shit because you don't think the way I do. And we're going to shut you down. Barack Hussein Obama started it. He went on Fox only for Super Bowls because he had to do the interview. It's a tradition. Now, oh, Trump's a piece of shit because he only goes on Fox. Fox News isn't real news. Blah, blah, blah. It has been the constant thing. And the media uses Media Matters, SPLC, as legitimate, non-biased reporting agencies to rate things as they are. And that's your founder. Why are Democrats going there? We could have made them not good advertisements. No, that we would have affected the buy-in, but Bernie Sanders went over there and he got a fair shake and he got an honest assessment, and half the world with a thinking brain went, "Good job." That was fair because the news people are non-biased. It wasn't held by Hannity and Coulter or Carlson. It was Brett Baer, Hemingway, people that fucking. They're just news people. Not Hemingway, but the other one. McCallum, sorry. McCallum. This whole kabuki theater is just silencing people. I mean, in the last month, Ben Shapiro, a Jewish dude, who, if you listen to his podcast, doesn't do nothing but bash the alt-right white supremacists, is open to more things than most conservatives are. Because he doesn't care. He's now alright. Because his voice is getting through. And we heard that piece from the lady from social media who literally said that it's a gateway drug. Remember that? They're just not content to get rid of the Hannity's and the Carlson's. They want everything shut down. For God's sake, I'm a little podcast that maybe 50 people listen to an episode on a good day. They'd shut this down if they could. No opposing thoughts. They can say or do whatever they want. You're held to a different standard. They're fucking children. They're not adults. Their ideas from the Green New Deal to 95 pronouns don't pass the common sense test. They know it. So to win it, they use their media as a watchdog group to dox anybody that says and utters the wrong think. And then they play the victim when their people are anti-Semitic and belittle the death of 3,000 Americans on 9-11.
like I said, if you said anything negative about the Pulse nightclub, you would have got the Rush Limbaugh. Sandra Fluke's a slut. That was national news. Every day worse is said on Twitter, Facebook, etc. It's not against the term of service unless you're conservative saying it to a Democrat. And if that's free speech, we got a problem. A big problem. So, this wraps up an upside-down edition of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel, share the, please feel free to share this with your family and friends. Send comments or suggestions for segments to foppodcast at gmail.com. F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. <clears throat> you can get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out our Facebook page at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. The next podcast is going to go, um, I'm going to wait till Tuesday next, uh, Wednesday next week. Um, as you can hear, I'm having a hard time. I'm changing allergy medicines and it's not working yet. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm just under the weather. It's hard to do a podcast because my throat is like razor blades right now. So let's go with the uh, 24th of April, year of our Lord, 2019. Until then, stay safe. Remember to disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. And uh, listen to the back catalog or you get bored. Give a shout out to my bro, Matt in Oregon, Zach in Tennessee, and Clifton, New Jersey. You guys rock. You still listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know who you are, and I like that you listen to it. And California still listen to a lot, too. So go on with your bad self. Thanks as always, folks. You take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make Every day count.